Uh, today, May 24th. We're gonna go ahead and get started with roll call, please. Commissioner Johnson. Here. Commissioner Colstrand. Here. Commissioner Noctegall. Here. Chair Souls. Here. Vice Chair Ewan. Here. Commissioner, Commissioner Suthamthira. Here. And Commissioner Whitesey. Here. Thank you, thanks for everyone for joining us tonight. Into agenda item two, agenda changes. We have one that's been requested I'd like to honor, which is a change under the regular agenda items to put 6C first, followed by 6B. Yes, the request is that we still do 6A where it is, and then 6C and then 6B, yeah. Yes, so if that's um, acceptable, I'm seeing yes. So we'll go ahead with that agenda change. Any others? No, does that require a vote, Lisa? I think administratively it doesn't, right? I don't think so, I think we're all right. We got head nods, so I'll um, call that a head nod vote of unanimous. <laughs> Let's move into uh, agenda item three. I'll turn it over to staff for communications, please. Thank you. I'm Lisa Foster, Senior Transportation Coordinator with the City of Alameda. We'll give some brief updates. A um, couple of major City Council actions on items reviewed by the Transportation Commission. As you all know, the City Council endorsed the Lincoln Marshall Pacific concept and um, also have approved the Clement Avenue and Tilden Way concept. I think these are the two things uh, since our last meeting. We have our upcoming, uh, upcoming Transportation Commission meetings. We do have a special meeting on June 21st, and then our next meeting after that is August 23rd. And then um, for public events coming up, uh, on March 31st, the Grand Street Safety Improvements Community Workshop will take place, and then a virtual open house for the Grand Street Safety Improvements on June 13th. Um, we do have Transportation 101 at, on June 13th as well at the Mastic Senior Center. And then a couple of things we want to make sure you're aware that there is an interactive story map of our 2022 intersection improvements and traffic enforcement locations that is available online on the Vision Zero webpage. And we have had, sadly, two traffic fatalities so far this year. The first was on February 8th, and then the second one was on April 20th. Um, and we will, are, we have held uh, post-collision site visits after both of those and are working on implementing our, um, sort of creating and implementing at the same time our rapid response after fatal crashes program. The, we have a couple of updates on timing for um, items that are being constructed this year, the Clement Avenue improvements. We're looking at getting a construction bid to city council by September and then construction starting by the beginning, by the end of 2023. And then for central, it would be um, construction bid in November and construction starting in early next year. Um, another piece of good news, in case you hadn't heard, we did have a third roundabout funded for the Central Avenue project. Um, so that's funded for 3.3 million, 2.3 at 
million of that is from OBAG three grant. And so that means that the Central Avenue project will have three roundabouts slated for construction during this construction phase. Encinal Avenue construction by Caltrans, the update is that they now think the pavement resurfacing and restriping will begin in late this year rather than this summer, delayed due to rain. But they are out there doing electrical work. You might have seen that. And um, I will stop there with my staff communications, but Rochelle Wheeler was going to add an update about the water shuttle. Good evening, Trans uh, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm Rochelle Wheeler, um, Senior Transportation Coordinator. Nice to see you all again. Um, I'll first just want to start with um, the Grand Street Workshop. Um, that will happen on May 31st, and then there'll be a virtual one on June 13th. We have some extra flyers. If any of you guys would like to take these and have somewhere you'd like to put them up, um, that would be appreciated. Um, there's some, we can leave them here, and there's also some on the table outside the, um, right outside the doors of the room. Um, and then I did just want to give you an update on what you see under the consent calendar for the estuary water shuttle. Um, uh, right after that Transportation Commission packet went out last week, we actually unfortunately had to make the decision to cancel um, our planned summertime estuary water shuttle service. We had hoped to be able to bring to the community a three-month summer pilot service um, that would be uh, mostly funded by private entities and the Transportation Management Association. Uh, we were working with WETA on that um, to um, administer a contract with a private operator. And unfortunately, due to some lack of communication and um, some uh, um, just lack of clarification, we found out very late in the game that the boat that was being, uh, that was available and the only boat that was available is not ADA accessible. So we did not feel like, um, <laughs> Neither we did nor the city, none of us were comfortable moving forward with the service for the summertime. So very sad to report that. We hadn't really yet started marketing it. We were kind of talking about that. Um, so that part of the consent item that you see in your packet is not accurate anymore. That summer service will not be happening. And um, the good news is that everything else in there is accurate, which is that we Hopefully tomorrow we'll be awarded a $1 million grant from Alameda CTC to fund 25% um, of a two-year pilot water shuttle to start next year by kind of spring slash early summer. And one of the, uh, and we'll be using all the work we did these past six months to, um, we'll be funneling that all into starting up that two-year pilot. Um, and so this, this efforts we've put in this past five months or so have been super useful. And one of them is that we really need to focus on getting a boat that will work for the service. So um, just wanted to provide that update. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's appropriate to take questions during staff communication. So um, defer I think if to anyone has specific questions on uh, that or the staff report, I mean, I think you just did a good job of summarizing what's different than what we already got in the staff report. And the recommendation is to receive an update. Um, yep. So I think if it's an item for discussion, then we would pull that from consent. Sounds good. 
Thank you, Rochelle. Mm -hmm. Chair Souls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I had a question uh, for um, Lisa. In December, and then I mentioned it again last month, I think, <laughs> the item about just giving the commission overall an overview of transportation conditions for the future. And um, I know you sent me something, and I sent a note back to you. I have talked to Andrew a couple times offline. I'd like to get a specific timeline for when that is coming back, because I think for us, the sooner the better, just so we have this as background information as we continue to make decisions. In our upcoming agenda items, um, probably not listed on this, we are talking about having a uh, performance measures scope discussion in August. And then we would talk about exactly what this would be, sorry, and, and talk about it in the scheme of the rest of the, um, the rest of the performance metrics that we want to create. And, um, so August would be when we would talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, just a clarification. So I'm looking at something that might serve as a base case against which we evaluate the future. So we kind of need to know where we are now in terms of our mode splits and, um, and uh, traffic conditions and congestion generally. I'm not, I'm not talking about level of service information because I know it's not really how we um, look at congestion um, now with the revised guidelines, but I am looking at having something that gives us a base that we can compare whether we're actually moving ahead towards our goals as we make all these investments. So um, that's what I'd be looking for. Thank right. you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I think it was demand and circulation is what I think of when you say conditions based on our last conversations, if that's a friendly addition to the, to the request, correct? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. We are going to move on to agenda item four, which is public comment on non-agendized items. And as a reminder, with the new agenda layout, this is the only time for public comment. We're not holding it again at the end of the meeting. So if you have anything to provide feedback to this body on that's not on the agenda, please uh, ask now. Souls, we have no speaker cards, but we have two hands raised. Okay, thank you. Uh, three now. Um, we will start with uh, David Nyken. David Nyken. Hello, can you hear me okay? We can, go ahead. Okay, well, first of all, I wanna thank everyone here, the staff and the commissioners in particular for doing an excellent job in really making our city livable and a, a beautiful place. I'd like to turn your attention uh, or consideration to a, a possible blind spot, pun intended, of what I believe is a blind spot of the Vision Zero plan. And that would be the intersection of Webster and Buena Vista and then the stretch of Buena Vista west of there. Uh, as you know, there were two serious accidents within the past year in this stretch, uh, but the street itself is not on any long or short-term improvement plan, save for the, uh, the, the improvement in the, um, one of the intersections by the Academy of Alameda. Uh, I would point out that this is an area that has uh, the, one of the highest population densities on the island, actually the highest population density on the island, um, has the, one of the highest rates of mixed income households and multiracial households in the family, 
is a area that is um, uh, underserved or at least a, a area that is a low resource area according to all the maps of the city as well. And um, I would uh, again uh, encourage anybody to take a walk on there. There's plenty of pedestrians that are moving towards those two high trafficked bus stops that are on the corner there. Um, the intersection itself hasn't been approved in roughly nine years and same with the street itself. The uh, infrastructure for the uh, pedestrian crosswalks throughout the street I believe is lacking compared to some of the other parts of the island and the city. And in particular, the intersection of Buena Vista and Webster has some dangerous conditions that I think are likely to cause other accidents in the future. So while I know this can't be a primary concern in the uh, upcoming year, I do hope that it can be reconsidered to be placed uh, as a high or moderate risk corridor for pedestrians in future versions of the Vision Zero plan. And for any short-term fixes, you know, I would be open to speaking or talking about that I may send some 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 um, information your way in the future to, to review. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say, and I do appreciate your guys' time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker. The next speaker is Karen Miller. Hi, commissioners. Um, I just wanted to comment on the Grand Street flyers, uh, the flyers on the workshop that were sent out. Um, they were addressed to the APN numbers of the properties, from what I understand, and I'm just questioning on how or were the tenants notified in the multi-unit buildings that are north of Encinal about this workshop. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was the um, last speaker. Okay. Did staff want to address anything in public comment? Did you want to say anything about the flyering as far as what the well, yes, flyers Yes, I can answer that. Um, we, we have a new system as of, I think, about a year ago that, um, um, directs, uh, that, that directs our mailings um, to all apartment units. So all renters in multi-unit buildings would have received notices. Okay, thank and you. And that mailing was sent to residences along Grand. Okay. Thank you. All right, that closes out agenda item four, and we're moving on to consent calendar. Um, I believe we have to take the minutes one by one because I think we did have an absence within these. Um, so uh, as far as item 5A, I don't know if you wanted to say anything about the survey or anything further. I was gonna take the consent calendar all as one, but I don't think we can. I think we had um, Commissioner Colstrand and Noctegal missing from minutes. Is that right? I think you're right. Okay. Um, so, is there any other? Are there any other um, communications from staff specifically on 5A on the estuary? Okay. So, uh, if we want to go ahead and make a motion for um, approval of the information, the staff report that was received and the verbal update from Rochelle, we can take 5A. I'll make a motion for the sake of time that we approve 5A. I second. Thank you, Commissioner Colstrand. We're gonna do vo voice votes tonight and Lisa's going to guide us through that. <laughs> all right, so you have stated the motion and I will say all in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. The motion passes unanimously. 
uh, 5B, this is to approve the draft minutes that have been provided in the packet um, for January 25th, 2023, in line with uh, the way our minutes are supposed to uh, look now. Um, and Commissioner Colstrand was absent during this meeting. Are there any edits or amendments to the minutes for approval? Commissioner Susandira? I'm going to actually approve the minutes, um, all of them, uh, for that matter, but just uh, have a general comment in, in terms of how it is uh, written. Um, public comments are written explicitly, and uh, the commissioner comments, commission, commissioners did make a lot of comments, had at least some synthesized version of like where they aligned, uh, you know, what their opinion of some um, information would be good. So right now there is nothing about commissioners' uh, comments. So um, like uh, Commissioner Colston keeps talking about the circulation and all that. So there is, it also comes as part of the agenda item sometimes. So these are something, you know, in context, how we looked at is important to capture. So um, moving forward, at least, uh, you know, there is at least one paragraph or some succinctly you can convey how uh, commissioners felt and what their comments were. So. So we've been going through kind of the, trying to strike the balance between what the minutes should reflect and to what level of detail, given that there is um, a transcript and broadcast available now. So uh, currently the process is that if there is a specific correction or specific statements, I believe, that you want included in Commissioner Whitesey, I believe, kind of beta tested this <laughs> model for us last time. <laughs> that, <way. laughs> uh, that they can provide written comment to be added to the written minutes, and that can be approved at the time of this, what, we, what we're doing now. Um, and so I think if there are specific, um, if there's specific language that you want pulled from either the transcript or that you want to include as clarification that's just more of a, a note and not a transcript, then we can do that. All right. Yeah, sorry, I, I just wanted to comment on that. I mean, I just, I had sent staff an email of what I thought should be included from what I had said, and they were very fast and very responsive, so that's, that's what I would do. I mean, I don't have anything particular, but there is nothing about what the commissioners mentioned is included in the minutes, so that's what. Um, yeah, and I believe we have, um, it's the, there was a document that was, that dictated kind of, that gave the, what we have to do and what we agreed would be um, the best value for the burden on staff to record down to the sentence level minutes. Alameda Municipal Code speaks to minutes needing to include public comment um, summaries and commission actions. Um, and for a long time, we were kind of going above and beyond and including commission discussion as well. But it was very time consuming for staff and the people who we you know, call upon to write our minutes are not the people who know these issues inside and out. So it was really challenging for them to try to get it right, um, especially when you're trying to summarize what people said. So because we do have recordings of these meetings available as public record, um, the minutes now refer to timestamps of discussion so that people can refer to that as the public record of the discussion. And you'll notice that we were able to include three minutes on this agenda and get caught up 
And this is, this is why we made this change as of the last meeting. I figured having uh, three minutes coming together <laughs> is, is a task. Um, my, my totally, and then <clears throat> having done that um, some time ago, and I completely understand how it takes, but I felt like it was like a pendulum. You had a, a lot of details, and then suddenly it became nothing. Um, but but uh, if there is a protocol at this point, and I will just go with that, and probably when time comes, I will take it up again. Okay, so. thank you, Commissioner. Uh, do I hear a motion to approve? All motion to approve the minutes. Thank for, you, Commissioner January 25th. January 25th, yes. And I'll second that. Can we get a voice vote real quick? All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. Abstain. And we have one abstention. Thank you, Commissioner Colstrand. Um, motion passes unanimously with those present at the January 25th meeting. And we'll move on to February 15th. February 15th, everyone was present. I'll take any amendments or questions or a motion to approve. Commissioner I'll make a motion to approve. Thank you. I'll second that so we can move on to a voice vote. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. No abstentions, right? No abstentions. <coughs> motion okay. passes unanimously with no abstentions. And lastly, March 22nd, we had Commissioner Noctegall unable to join us. Uh, and so if there are any other, again, additions or motion to approve. Okay, all in Did favor I come say, to approve? oh, sorry. Oh, it was already done? <laughs> no, no, you're right. Commissioner Sidanthira <laughs> makes a motion to approve. I'll second that motion and now we'll take the voice vote. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed aye. say no. Any abstentions? Yes. I'm an extension. Abstention. Okay. Yes, thank you. Commissioner Noctegall abstains and the rest is passed unanimously. All right, that clears our backlog of meeting minutes. Very mm -hmm. exciting day today. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on to uh, agenda item six, regular items. Um, just as a reminder, this is a spot where we're switching items 6C and 6B, but we are starting with 6A, so I will turn it over to a staff for a presentation on um, an action that's being asked to be taken tonight to endorse the recommendation for the Park Street and Webster Street commercial restriping. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm Robert Vance, I'm the Deputy Public Works Director and um, tonight we have um, transportation planning staff who are also involved with this project, uh, Lisa Foster and Rochelle Wheeler, and also um, from the consulting team at Fair and Piers, uh, Susie Hufstetter is um, available for uh, questions. Right. And we're discussing the, the Park Street and Webster Street um, commercial corridors restriping plan, and I wanted to start with a little bit of uh, background um, in 2020 and 2021, uh, the city's, as part of the city's COVID-19 response, Park and Webster were restriped um, from a, the former configuration of a four-lane cross-section to one lane in each direction with left-turn lanes at intersections. And um, there was a, a program to allow um, parklets for out outdoor dining, um, support the business community and our merchants um, to construct parklets. Um, um, along the curb 
um, and and the parking was was also uh, relocated from the curb to allow space for those parklets. And I'll, I'll show uh, some photos of what, what that looks like today. Um, in 2021, uh, the parklet program and recycling was uh, extended by city council for two years um, to November 2023. Um, so um, that included uh, new agreements with each of the parklet owners um, as, a, as an encroachment agreement. Um, there are also updated parklet standards, and, and many of the parklet owners reconstructed their parklets at that time. And there was also direction to staff um, to implement concrete barriers around the parklets to replace the existing um, water-filled plastic barricades um, that are out there. Um, and as of, as of now, 2022-2023, uh, there are three parklets in the, the Webster corridor and 19 on the Park Street corridor. So um, that's kind of where we're at today. Um, and so some of the existing conditions and, um, and the, the configuration, there's some challenges. Um, with the restriping, uh, moving, the parklet, moving the parking away from the curb, um, at the time, it wasn't known how, how many parklets there were going to be, so the city wanted to create space uh, for those parklets, so the, the, the parking was moved away from the curb. Um, and in many places, there's, there's just unused curb space out there. Um, also, to direct you know, and make it clear, to clarify where parking was going to be allowed, um, there were, there were uh, bollards placed on the street. Um, and many of those have been damaged um, in the, over the past um, few years. Um, there was also um, issues with parking compliance because, there, uh, because of the unused space, it can lead to double parking. Um, there's buffered zones, striped out areas where people can park. Um, and then also along the barricades, um, or along the parklets, um, because of the water-filled barricades there, um, in some locations where there's parking next to the parklets um, and a barricade, it just creates a really, really tight uh, space um, for, or for people who, who want to park there. So uh, those are some of the challenges that we have today. And so um, we're, we're here, uh, wanted to review some of the project goals. We've been working on this um, as a team. Um, you know, one of our goals is to implement the council-directed concrete barriers around the parklet, so we've been thinking about how, how to best do that. Um, another goal is to improve the aesthetics of the commercial corridors, um, give them more of a unifor uniform look, less plastic, um, clear direction for parking locations, um, because um, the, you know, we are enforcing parking uh, now. Um, we wanna limit double parking and just make it uh, easier for people to use that street and visit the commercial corridors. Um, <clears throat> we're also looking to begin implementing the active transportation plan near-term goals for bicycle facilities on the commercial corridors. So um, while there's still planning work to be done to look at the ultimate configuration for how um, we'll achieve um, you know, low-stress facilities for these corridors, um, this is a, an opportunity to uh, make some near-term changes to make the street easier um, to access for, for those um, using bicycles. 
And we also want to prepare the Parklet program to continue past November 2023. The staff recommendation is to continue the Parklet program. Um, there's, and later in the presentation, we'll just kind of discuss, there's a lot of things that still need to be worked out. Um, but right now, tonight, uh, we want to talk about the, the striping and, and some of the implications um, of that. So, uh, so we, like as I mentioned, we are um, recommending to maintain the Parklet program with some modifications. Um, we've learned a lot over the last couple of years of what, what works well for, from, in terms of parklet design, parklet location, um, and, uh, and how often we need to inspect those and, and, um, and how we can work with our business community um, to make it a success. Um, we are recommending maintaining the, the two, lane, two travel lanes for automobiles and, and buses, um, moving the parking back to the edge of the curb where um, I think most people would expect it to be. And um, by doing that, there's space available to add striped bicycle lanes between the parking lane and the, and the travel lane. All right. Um, here are uh, cross sections um, just showing potential configuration where um, there's a parklet along the curb. Um, so the parklets would be next to the curb with the concrete barriers, bicycle lanes, and then the, and then the travel lanes, 11-foot uh, travel lanes um, in the center of the street. And then where there aren't parklets, um, there'd be parking along the curb. So one of the kind of features about this plan is that regardless of how many parklets there are or where they're located, it, it sort of works either way. So it's either, you know, there's parking there, there's enough space to have a parklet and a barrier, or there's enough space for, for parking in a, in a, in a buffer um, next to the, the bicycle lane. So that's kind of the, the cross-section view. And then I have some others. Uh, plan views, uh, sort of map of the typical block on Webster. So this is just um, between Taylor and Santa Clara. Again, there's uh, the two travel lanes and, and the turn lanes. Um, some streets don't don't have turn lanes, and so that's going to be part of the, you know, further furthering this design and the, and the details is, you know, how, how many turn lanes do we need? How long should they be? How much storage do we need? That sort of thing. Um, parking located along the curb, and then the striped bicycle lanes, um, and then so just pointing out some some um, of the current parklets will need to be modified um, just because they're too wide. They don't they don't fit with the, this configuration. Um, and so that, that is something that we need to work closely with the individual owners on. Um, so we've identified those parklets and we'll be working uh, closely with that. And I, the other detail is, is just uh, where, where that parking can be allowed because of the, um, the tapers and making space for the bus stops and turn lanes and, and everything. So we'll be getting into those details as we <coughs> develop the design. Um, so that's kind of a Webster example. This is a this is a Park Street example. So here, um, this is between Encinal and Alameda Avenue. So these parklets are already fit within the parking lane, and so it's just a matter of replacing the barricades that are out there with the concrete, and then um, and then implementing the new striping plan. And uh, included with the staff report, there's layouts for the full corridor. Again, draft conceptual level layouts. And again, preliminarily, uh, just kind of going over what the, the impact to parking would be actually on Webster Street. 
um, we'd recover about 13 um, parking spaces, plus or minus. Um, and that's just, you know, again, moving the parking back to the curb. There aren't as many parklets out there, so um, there's more space to allow parking. Now, a lot of places people are parking there anyway, um, so this would just kind of, you know, formalize that and make it a legal parking spaces. Um, and Park Street, um, because there's more parklets, um, more parking spaces um, would be removed, um, maybe up to 18. So a lot, a lot of that is just um, the parking that's currently next to existing parklets. Um, but also just recently there was um, restriping done at the Central Avenue uh, intersection, which did add some parking spaces back for now. Um, again, that's one of the locations where people were parking, you know, where parking illegally. Um, so make, making that, restoring that parking um, in the near term. And then looking at, you know, this, this plan, um, reconfiguring the street. And so uh, that's kind of um, that information. And we have a lot of next steps. So um, we're planning to um, present these recommendations to city council in, at the July 5th uh, meeting. Um, we want to continue outreach to the community and, and businesses. Part of that is starting to identify areas for um, reserved ADA parking spaces, um, short-term parking spaces to allow for loading zones, mm -hmm. and making sure that's done in a comprehensive, you know, rational way. Uh, and then um, we'll also in the summer be issuing the, the RFP for the approved barricades um, to get ready for, the, for purchasing those, and also developing the final striping plans, um, bidding those out for construction. Moves us into the fall, um, where we can purchase the concrete barricades, we'll be needing to ask um, uh, city council permission for that to approve that contract. Um, we'll need to execute new agreements for the parklets, and we anticipate updating the guidelines at that time. And also, and then finally, you know, implementing the striping and the barricade placement um, um, later in the fall. And just the last point here, you know, we're going to keep continuing the planning for the ultimate configuration uh, for these corridors to um, get those low-stress low facilities and figure out how to do that. So um, that's all I had for the, my presentation, but I'm happy to take your questions. And as I said, staff and our consultant are here to answer any of your questions. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much. Um, we'll do clarifying questions since you're here. So we'll save discussion after public comment and do clarifying questions first in case there's any kind of confusion. So um, Commissioner Noctegall. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is gonna come back to us at the Transportation Commission before it says, develop final striping plans and bid for construction. Uh, so I'm, I, my, one of my questions is about the kind of striping that's there and the, the bike lane that's proposed. Right. Is it possible for it to be a continuous green thermoplastic in the bike lanes as opposed to just at the intersection? That's oh, um, I, the color. Yeah, we, I mean, we can, you can definitely you know, make that suggestion. I, you know, I think anything is possible at this point. It's not, um, it's not part of our, it's not shown in the plans right now. I think um, the, the, the green 
is typically at, you know, closer to intersections and driveway areas and conflict zones. So that's typically where we've used uh, the green paint, just to give it, you know, emphasis. Thanks. I, arguably, s somehow Park Street seems like it's all a conflict zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good character. Um, uh, and then my other clarifying question, or just a general question, is if AC Transit is on board with continuing with the two lanes. We, that, yeah, we have um, been doing outreach with AC Transit as well. So, um, I mean, this does give them this gives them more space to operate um, um, than the current condition because right now the, this, you know the parking is is right up next to the the travel lane so mm -hmm. there is actually a little more room to maneuver for them so we've had that feedback has been positive I don't know Rochelle if you want to add anything so we're we're keeping working with them and they're also providing us some some data about their operations. Um, what they've seen over time, you know, in terms of um, bus speed, reliability, that sort of thing. So that's something we want to keep an eye on. Okay, thank you. Did you have any others? That, that would, okay, Commissioner Colstrand. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to follow on with the request that Commissioner Noctegall made about the green thermoplastic. And in one of the public comments we got, they mentioned using uh, a box at the intersections to allow for bicycles to turn and I thought that was a really great idea. I know, you know, many cities do that and we probably have them somewhere in Alameda as well, but um, just, you know, whether or not we do it all along Park Street, if we can carry it over into the intersections to facilitate the left turns for bicycles. Um, okay. And then I had a couple of questions. Um, Will the concrete barriers that you're placing be movable so that if the storefront, the character of the storefront changes, like, you know, a restaurant no longer here, but there's one next door, can they be moved along Park Street? Well, they are movable. They have um, notches for like a forklift. Okay. So I, I wouldn't say they're easily movable because <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're I mean, about 1,200 pounds yeah. each or something like that. So. They're pretty heavy, so it, it's you know um, it would take work, and I think that's um, uh, you know that's what was recommended, and okay. I need to see um, if that is something that our maintenance staff are able to do, or if that's something that we'll have a con need to have a contractor yeah. do. So that we may need a long-term like service contract on call or something like that to if. We need to move these in the And future. it may be that, you know, there all the businesses are close enough that it can be worked out. I was just wondering, you know, what the um, possibilities of that were. And then finally, you said you were still working on um, new requirements for the parklets. Are there going to be any aesthetic requirements um, in terms of the structures or anything like that? I know it's kind of a balancing act between uh, keeping it affordable for right. the businesses, but also making it look um, presentable <laughs> yeah. to the street, so. Um, well, our current guidelines don't really talk that much about aesthetics. It has more to do with the, the layout of the furniture inside, you know, to, for accessibility, and we're, you know, had a lot of concerns about drainage along the mm -hmm. curb um, and debris collecting. Um, but not as much about aesthetics. So yeah. that is definitely something we should. Um, well, I, I think it's just worth, worth having a discussion about. I've spent a lot of time in New York City over the last two years, 
And um, there's a lot of variation <laughs> in what their parklets look like. Oh, yeah. Some of them are highly decorated and beautiful and, uh, well, maybe not beautiful, but <laughs> more, some are more aesthetic than others. So it's, it's just worth a discussion, I think, with the uh, business owners along Park Street. Okay, and I think that's also, you know, one of the things we've talked a lot about with Baba and Daba, you know, just staying in communication to see what, you know, how do they want things to be and how, how strict uh, do we want to make it for, for users. And yeah. Like, yeah. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Vice Chair Ewan. Thanks um, for the great uh, presentation and overview of this. I did have a couple of clarifying questions. Um, I didn't hear this in your presentation, so I just wanted to ask, in terms of input on the design elements, like from community, in terms of community outreach and kind of participation, um, did you do any outreach and engagement? And if so, what was sort of the feedback that you received? That's my first question. And then second question, I saw a note in the presentation about developing the final striping plan, I guess after, um, yeah, so I guess in terms of that, will this, will the final striping plan then come back to this commission? Or is this sort of like um, the one and only chance we'll have a chance to discuss and approve the plan? We are happy to come back at any time. If um, I, I don't think we were envisioning bringing it back because it's, you know, it's kind of the same concept um, that we would carry forward or that at least that's what we're asking for your, your approval for. Um, but if you, I mean, if the commission wants staff to come back and, and, and give a progress report at some point, um, you know, we can definitely do that before implement final implementation. Um, and then um, as far as outreach, I mean, most of our outreach has been to the AC, with AC Transit and, the, and WABA and DABA business community. So we haven't done a, you know, kind of a general um, community meeting um, for the project. Great, thanks. Commissioner Whitesey. Uh, thanks, Robert, for joining us. Uh, I have three, I have a lot of questions, but I think three fit into clarifying. So as I understood your presentation, and I remember two years ago, essentially parklet standards were updated, and so they had to meet certain standards to be put in. And so now in 2023, we're sort of asking with some justification for changes to some of those parklets. And so I'm curious if the city is envisioning this as this is it. This is for the next 10 years you're covered if you rebuild your parklet to these standards. Because I do understand from a business perspective feeling a little bit yanked around because here's a standard, two years later, here's another standard, and I don't know that they're, I don't, if I was a business, I would maybe struggle with this might happen again in 2026, or I have to change something. And so I just, I, I would like to understand, I guess, first the time frame that this project is gonna be approved for. Like, are you asking for a 10-year horizon on this? And I have two other questions, but maybe we'll just take them in piece by piece. I mean, I, I think 10 years might be a long, maybe too long, and I, one feature I guess I would recommend is at least having um, an annual check-in to make sure the parklet is still in good shape mm -hmm. and have a you know a mechanism for staff to mm -hmm. you know remove parklets that are and that's actually in the current agreement you know if they're not meeting guidelines or there's something um, 
say they're falling apart, then you know there's a process to remove parklets that aren't um, meeting the standards. Um, <clears throat> so it sounds like you're asking, you know, do we have a time frame for how long a parklet should last? I, I think more I'm asking sure. like what's the time frame for this specific set of asks? Because like I, it's like so you're, to your point, you know, there's a, there's a standard that parklets have to reach, and if they don't reach that standard, they'll be removed, falling apart, being dilapidated, etc. But as I understand this, we're asking the geometry to change, right? And so it seems like it would be fair to ask business owners, you know, you're gonna change the geometry that we told you two years ago was this and now it's that, which again is justified. But it seems like we should also give them as part of this plan, this is what we're doing until, again, 10 years is a long time, 10 years is forever, but certainly a five-year plan. And if you reach this standard and you build your expensive parklet, then we're not gonna come back to you short of catastrophe Mm -hmm. asking you to change. Because I, I don't think that's really built in here. There's no like specific timing for how long we want this, this standard to last. So I guess that's sort of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. Yeah, I think we need to look at that and what's a, a reasonable term sure. for, the, for these agreements. Okay. And yeah, I, I think I would like that. That's something we definitely want to get um, feedback on. Commissioner Whitesey, can we stay on that topic for just one Sure, absolutely. Because, I mean, my understanding was we're continuing the part parklets as still a pilot to some extent, that they're not intended to be permanent yet. Is that correct? Well, I mean, um, not, it's not hard to say that they're, pri I mean, the, the, the mechanism that we have to operate on is, a, is a, it's an encroachment permit, and we don't give, you know, permanent encroachment permits in, in the right-of-way. So that, that's what makes it a little bit difficult, is these are still in the street, so they really um, don't fit with how we typically, you know, draw the line between things that are on one side of the curb and things that are on the other side of the curb. You know, things that are in the street are, you know, meant to be moved, meant to be um, able to be um, taken down when they need to be for uh, maintenance or, or whatever. So, I think there's definitely a, a gray area as to like what, how permanent sh should these be, and they're also not you know they're not buildings either so that's i think that's what makes it a little bit difficult to say you know to say it's not that it's a permanent program um right and i think that i mean that was my understanding too like would we do an encroachment permit for 10 years probably not because there are other no. design issues and other things over time that would not fit into the standard maintenance way that you would do that yeah and so you know, when we're talking about restriping, it's really, I think what does stay static, and Commissioner Colster mentioned it too, is the, the areas that are currently within the permitted place stay. And Right, that, yeah, if they wanna stay. Right. They don't have to. Right. Okay. And, you know, what, with the striping plan, we're creating an, an envelope for that discussion. The, and the other thing that's just, while we're on this topic too, is like, you know, and, and how long and who gets permission, um, you know, kind of a how to resolve disputes um, between someone who has permission to, to build a parklet and then some, you know, a different business moves in next door, they don't want the parklet there anymore. How, you know, we have to work through those issues too. So that's a lot of the things that have come up. Okay, just to point out that it's years. a state of flux, so we're not making 10 year recommendations on striping. Well, and again, we have to. You know, we also want to think through what's the ultimate configuration going to be for, for Park Street. You know, maybe when we put in, if, if the city decides this is going to be a separated bicycle lane, there may not be room for these anymore because it's, right. you know, now we need space for curb and 
buffers and things like that. Okay. So. I see a lot of hands. Hold on, I'll come back over to you guys in a second. Commissioner <laughs> Whitey. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I think actually that was, uh, yeah, I thought that was actually a really good comment by Chair Souls because I guess the way I'm asking the question is sort of the opposite of that. Yeah, I understand it's an encroachment and I understand that it's a pilot, but again, I, that is kind of what I'm getting at, that I, I worry we're basically piloting every two years and then we keep changing a standard or it goes away. And so I don't want to speak for business owners, but it, I don't know, it seems kind of dumb that we're putting them on these short timelines and asking them to change things because I don't, I mean, I don't want to get into encroachment law because I don't know what I'm talking about, but I also, I, I find this idea that we're going to ask people to change a thing, but then give them a short time frame or, or not commit to, call it a pilot, I don't care, but call it a five-year pilot or call it a pilot that you can actually build something and you're going to be able to recoup your money if you build to a, to a new standard that the city is asking for. So. I'll, stop, I'll get off my high horse, but yeah. No, uh, Commissioner White, so the reason I was pointing out was because, and I think you said creating the pocket for it, is that the request tonight is specifically about the restriping and how to deal with the right-of-way that's remaining. How we treat partlets, what's going to happen with them, I would assume is somewhat the planning board's responsibility as well as city council's to make some of those longer-term decisions on... Mm -hmm the business associations, the types of permits, the permanency versus the pilot, things like that. So I was just trying to make sure that we're working within the scope of what are, we're are being asked to Are parking spaces not in our scope? Yeah. Chair Souls, would, would, I think Rochelle Oh, please, had a Rochelle, comment. go ahead. <laughs> not that I have a better way to say this, but um, because I, I did start working on this program, um, when COVID started. And so that was definitely, I would say, the pilot time, right? Yeah. We did this really quickly, restriped the street, said, yeah, go ahead and build parklets. It was a little bit of a free for all. Some of those are, you know, still out there. Some of them have been upgraded. Um, so I think that, you know, for that first two years or so um, from 2020, 2020, 2021 to, um, the end of 2021 is when kind of was our initial like permit we gave for those parklets, right? So, um, and that's when we evaluated the program and went to council and said, what do you want to do now? That first phase, I would say, was very much like a pilot phase, I would call it that. And we were very clear, and those those parklet owners that are out there with those what we call the double wides, like Burma Superstar, were very clear that they were not going to have that space forever necessarily. This was, we were testing out this restriping. We didn't know if we would have all, that much space. So in our view, what we've heard back is that the, most of those property owners know that they're gonna have to cut their parklets in half, those ones that did the double wide. Like that was expected, right? So they made that investment that they did kind of knowing this because they needed to get through the pandemic. And, need, and then we went to council and we said, so council, this is the evaluation we did of it. This is where we are now. We've seen a lot of good come out of this. Let's take the next two years. And when we went to council at that point, we made a bunch of upgrades to the parklet um, permit requirements and then you know, issued new permits for two years saying with these, with these new requirements. And, and Robert talked about a lot of those and, and said we'd come back in another two years, right? to kind of see how this was all going. And I think what we're saying at this point with the parklet, I mean, it's a really good point for us to clarify it, is we're not really calling this a pilot anymore. We're saying parklets like parklets are a good thing. Businesses like them, community likes them. We're gonna keep doing them. 
just like with any other zoning requirements or anything, like we're gonna keep evaluating how it's working and make some tweaks as we go. Like, and I think the and permits will probably be on a yearly or every two year basis, I would assume. So we can always change our minds. I mean, it, it's, it's not like owning private property, it's the public right of way. So the city has the right to do whatever they want with that right of way, right? Even after we've issued a permit, we have a clause in there that we could take, we could say, we need that space back, you're done. Like you're, you need to remove your parklet. I mean, we're working with the business district through all of this, so we're not gonna go do something like that. But um, I think what we're saying now is we actually are recommending that we not consider these parklets pilot anymore. We're not saying that we might, they might need to you know, be modified slightly. Maybe the drainage is not working how we thought it would. So we need to go back and, you know, or it's also, we've talked about the fees for parklets, whether we're charging enough for them. We're talked about the usage and having requirements that they actually get used maybe for some percentage of the year. Cause a lot of them seem to sit there empty and yet they don't look great. They're taking up some parking. Maybe another business would like to be there. So, um, I think we're just kind of learning and then trying to incorporate those lessons. Um, and then the last thing I just want to say in terms of time frame is that, you know, the active transportation plan calls for us to look at the park and Webster Street corridors and develop long-term plans for low stress facilities. And that could either in, for park be park or Oak and for Webster, it's just Webster because we only have Webster. So, that plan the calls for having those designs done by 2030. So then sometime after that, it's true, we might need to change those parklets in those locations. And But we don't know what that's gonna be. And we know people like parklets, so we'll have to balance all of that. And, and just to like very well explain and totally agree with you, and I think that's exactly what I'm trying to get at for the commission here is like, we don't see this as a pilot anymore. We do not see this as something that's going away. And I think what you just said about, you know, a 2030 change, which is in our plan, is a, is a, is a good benchmark for this. Like, listen, we're trying to, we're adding, asking for tweaks, we're asking for parklets to exist in this way, but I think part of this request ought to be to say, like, this is what we're doing for, in, until it changes to be a low stress spikeway, because, you know, obviously the city has discretion if things are become problematic, but I'm, I, what you said, I 100% agree with Rochelle. Like, I think we should emphasize this is no longer a pilot, or at least that's how I think many of us are thinking about it. So thank you. And also, a question came up, and Rebecca nodded her head, so I think I'm right. Are parking spots within the jurisdiction of this commission, or is that a planning board thing? Are parklets? Are parking spaces. Public right-of-way. Oh, public right-of-way is public works. So it's, you know, I don't think, I, think I mean, we've informed my the planning board about, about the comment? program, but. She, yeah, sort of. I, I, I don't think, we, we don't, feel, I don't believe that we need to take this to the planning board for parklets, okay. unless it's sort of more informational. Great. That's my understanding, but. I think you're right, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I, I mean, um, just our, our muni code, most of the changes to parking, um, other responsibility of the public works director. Okay. But there are appeals that would come to the Transportation Commission. So for example, um, <clears throat> if the director decides to make an area no parking for whatever reason, in some cases that can be appealed back to the Transportation Commission and then it's a commission decision whether to uh, you know, uphold that appeal, uphold the decision or not. 
And now that I blew up that entire conversation with one clarifying question that I thought was a small question, but I'm glad we talked about it. Does anyone else want to talk about this still, or can I change the, to another clarifying question? No, I appreciate the clarification, because it's kind of a, a morphing, we're doing what the striping for what we think could be next to learn and evaluate. And I comment on the scope was really not about parking or the public right-of-way. It was when we start getting into permits with businesses sure. and that kind of relationship of, you know, things that go beyond the aesthetics, the safety, the things that are within the public right-of-way, but when it comes to the business associations and their agreements and what parklets work out and how much permits are is, is where I think we, we start to get a, a bit of scope creep if we were to go that direction. So I was just clarifying that. Sure. You had other questions, Commissioner Whitesey? I, I did. Did, did you guys have questions oh, that are related sorry. to that, though? I can move on. See, I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I can't see hands raised on a it's nice hard. box screen anymore, <laughs> so I apologize. Please go ahead. It's, it's a clarifying question that came up as we were discussing this, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer. But at this point, we are only talking about the Park Street and Webster Street corridors. We are not talking at all about the uh, closed portion of Alameda Avenue that is adjacent to Park Street that has been closed for uh, seating. Correct. Uh, well, that, I mean that is part uh, that was part of the council action in uh, November 2021 was to to keep Alameda Avenue um, <clears throat> closed. Okay, and so that is staying that way, but we aren't discussing any piece of that. That is. I, I mean, I think we can discuss that because I think the striping plan or barricade placement, I mean, may have to do with the configuration for Alameda Avenue. So it, hmm. we definitely, I mean, I definitely appreciate the comment. I don't, Rochelle. You agree? Uh, I guess I would just say, yeah, I mean, we could take comment on it. We haven't put as much thought into that, but we could take comment on it. Yeah. But so then second clarifying question. So that's also con not, it's also past the pilot phase, if you will. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Well, I mean, it was the same. It was the same. Like I said, it was the same action. But yeah, till the 2023. So, okay. It, it, if you. council doesn't, you know, um, do anything, then that that would that would end in November 2023. If they take no action on it, so then that that would that's what I would assume. What would happen is that it would just end, and it would go back to an open street. So okay. it's a council decision too. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Commissioner Sukanthira, do you have something on the same topic or do I? Related, same okay. topic. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I had a question on Alameda Avenue too, but it looks like it hasn't been thought about, but I think it is part of the same package. So um, this is a good thing. You know, we are looking to move it from pilot to somewhat permanent. And I have seen transformation even before COVID time in Livermore on First Avenue. The downtown is great. Um, and uh, so, but I want us to remember and remind us that the component, another component to this is, uh, this is a gateway corridor, both of them. And there is um, auto traffic. And uh, post-COVID, traffic hasn't come down. That's my knowledge. So um, ARC hasn't decreased, per se. And um, I think it is upon us to really make sure that 
there's no congestion happens here, so people can be still safely walking around, and then the purpose that you are, we are doing this exercise is successful and served. Um, for that, um, I'm trying to find out, did you do any surveys, how the traffic uh, diversion happened, um, you know, or the pre and now? That is also, this is also kind of in the context of, you know, overall circulation, you know. So we are making decision as we go, but it is important for us to, you know, understand how the traffic circulation is changing. Right. Um, well, we haven't done additional traffic studies. I mean, there was a study done um, in, in 2021 that looked at diversion and, and what was happening with the traffic after the <coughs> configuration went from four lanes to two lanes. Mm -hmm. um, but we have not updated that analysis. So there was a prior um, study, I mean, when you changed it? That will be, I'll be interested to know how it was. What were the results from 2021? Uh -huh, what were the results from that? Um, I believe we have that information. Yeah, um, I don't know. Marcia Wheeler again. Um, I don't have that tip of my fingers. Um, so we did, in 2021, um, looked at pre-COVID and then post lane reduction um, using streetlight data, so cell phone data, because we didn't have all of the pre-counts, and um, generally found that traffic was moving fairly well still on Webster, slowed down a lot, especially on key blocks of, um, of park, and I think more on park, there was what appeared to maybe be some diversion. We um, gave all that information to the council and they still wanted to continue the program for another two years. And I think at this point, we have not done another evaluation of that. And that's in part because, um, frankly, I don't think the business districts wanna go back to four lanes. And I'm not sure the city would recommend that. So it would be a lot of time and money to study again all of the traffic. I'm not and, suggesting yeah. that. Okay. Just, I mean, I'm, I don't want us to go that, down that okay. road. But I want us to protect this, protect the investment we have made, and then make sure that it's working efficiently, which means that, you know, the Lincoln Avenue or other parallel roads are, you know, perpendicular ones um, are functioning effectively to um, make the circulation move, right? And 2023, as the offices open hybrid, the, the data shows that the traffic has increased. It's not 2021 data. So I don't want to take time, but uh, you know, I want you to remember for this project, this, you know, the, the decision we are making for it to be efficient, for it to be safe and functional, we need to make sure that the gateways are, uh, you know, this is a gateway and uh, that, that we are facilitating traffic still, it's happening. I mean, we can't really, um, um, you know, assume or ignore that. Right, so, um, and, and where it is moving, and we, are, we have to make sure that the diversion routes are um, operating well. If I, if I could just make one other comment, um, is that the, the other thing that was done around the same time was Oh, I turned mine on. I don't know. If... Is that okay? Okay, it's on. Okay, great. Um, so there, there was some changes to the traffic signal timing. So I think that's all part of what you're saying is making sure that the, the traffic works. 
And one thing um, as we develop these final plans is to, to look at those uh, turning lanes and things to make sure we do have you know, enough storage, enough space, um, you know, so traffic can, can get through the corridor um, as best as it can with, with two lanes, really trying to make that work. Chair Souls, should we move to public comment? Um, let me, I just, I know that Commissioner Whitesey had one more clarifying question, and we're still, I think, keeping within that scope of what is and isn't included totally. as the background for the staff yeah, report. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm not even, I, not an opinion question, like a genuine clarifying question. Um, two of them, actually, real quick. So on one of the diagrams where you were showing uh, what the lanes look like when we go by a parklet versus a parking space, I don't know if you can put that back up, but it looked like there are pylons there, posts, um, Susie, would you mind um, talking about, that's one of the ideas that, mm -hmm. that came up is um, next to the parklets could have maybe some short sections of protected yeah, lanes yeah, to, my, to, my, That to is keep, my question, honestly. Oh, I just okay. want to be sure so that the diagram wasn't Yeah, so we're not getting double parking right next to the parklets. I mean, we, there's less Great. we can do next to the parking I have opinions lanes, about but. that, but I'll save them for later. Uh, I had a third question really quick. So you mentioned that Webster Street is going to uh, gain about 13 spaces. And is there a sense of where those spaces are? Are they biased in a direction? Are they towards, I'm leading with this for later, are they towards the intersection of Webster and Central or are they kind of all over the place? I know, uh, I know we have that data. <laughs> Hi, good evening commissioners. Evening. My name is Susie Hofstadter. I'm with Farron Piers. Um, the striping for the COVID configuration that's out there now has a variety of like tapers at intersections and um, to kind of like shift the lanes and put in like turn lanes and stuff like that. And so moving the, the parking back to the curb kind of simplifies it so there's not as much tapering. So it's kind of sprinkled throughout and it's not necessarily at like one specific So there's section. no real bias towards it. It's kind of all over. It's kind of all along Webster. It's near the intersections in general. Okay, great, yeah. thank you. Any other clarifying questions, Commissioner Johnson? Yeah, um, I don't know if this is a clarifying question, Robert, but what sort of outreach, have we reached out to the fire department and first responders to see what their feedback has been on this in terms, I'm thinking of the rigs, the ladder right. trucks, the response times, has there been any sort of, what, what sort of feedback have you gotten from, from the first responders and the fire department? Um, mo mostly it's been positive. I mean, they, we don't have specific data on what, how it may impact response times, but um, the general comment that we get from the fire department is that you know they'd like um, to you know have space for people to be able to pull over to the side. That's the, kind of their main concern, and, and so with the the stripe, the, it's difficult to do that right now because the parking is right up next to the the travel lanes. So um, with the with the buffered bike lanes, there is more space for vehicles to pull to the side. So that was. Um, I think they saw that as a positive, kind of similar to AC Transit, where there's just a little more room to maneuver. Yeah, and those concrete barriers, we, I've worked on a project, that's called KRL, and you probably <coughs> will need to have a, a contractor come in, and, and if those need to be moved, I don't think city staff has the capacity to, to do that. Well, the, these are, um, so we had a lot of discussion about uh, the types of barriers, so they're, they're, um, they're four-foot sections. Okay. It's a decorative, painted, mm -hmm. reinforced concrete, um, barricades. So our, we have city standards for the, you know that were passed at the time in, in 2021. So uh, you, you may be right. We may not be. We may need a contractor to move them, but they are 
more re re uh, maneuverable than a, like a 12-foot oh, section okay. of K rail. So it's, um, you know, the, it's it's possible that we'll be able to maneuver them. Um, it still might be a challenge. I'll take them. Thank yeah. you, Chair Sellers. Thank yeah, you. thank you. All right. Any other, no more clarifications? Let's move on to public comment, please. All right, we have five hands raised, so um, comments will be three, well, six now, but, oh, nine? <laughs> <laughs> we have nine hands raised, which is still comments are three minutes each. We'll start with Kathy Weber. Good evening, uh, commissioners. My name is Kathy Weber. I am the executive director with Downtown Alameda. And first I'd like to start off uh, sharing how grateful we are to city staff for their time and their collaboration through this entire process uh, from start to where we are now. Um, I think it's been a remarkable effort on both the part of the business districts and the city and our businesses who are taking, who are participating in this, um, the, the restriping effort. I think initially what we wanna share is that um, we are very supportive of maintaining the traffic calming of the two lanes. Um, I, I, you know, as there may be some actual data that is involved that will, will really help with these decisions, um, the it the street feels slower it feels safer and it just feels more pedestrian friendly um, since we have moved to the two lanes uh, additionally i think it's going to be really helpful as we move parking to the curb it makes sense that's what people know and while we have um, seen some very creative adaptations for parking in the last uh, couple of uh, years I think making sure that people are able to identify where there's parking and, and how and where they should park, I think is really important. And another piece that I'd really like to share is that um, the parklets, while a number are used for our restaurants, are not just for these specific businesses. They bring a tremendous amount of vibrancy and vitality to our district and that I think as we're moving through this, um, a lot of the folks who are who have parklets have made an investment in making these improvements. Um, they've improved the aesthetics. Um, they have taken the guidance from the city's recommendations and have um, and have really reinvested in the in the structures and and how they they look. And I think the one of the other things that will really kind of help with that aesthetic piece is that unifying piece of the barricades as we have um, those installed. That will bring, you know, sort of that thread that, that connects all of these parklets together. And we look forward to working with city staff um, as we move through this process. Um, and uh, we're very grateful. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Next speaker, Karen Miller. Karen, welcome. Hi, did that unmute? You're good, go ahead. Now you're not good. Can we hear you again? Good again. Okay, there we go. There we go. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. 
Um, I am opposed to this plan. Um, please return Park Street and Webster to the pre-COVID configuration. The parklets were an emergency solution when we couldn't go inside and it kept businesses afloat. Park Street is a, meth, is a mess, both in how it looks and how it functions. I don't shop there anymore. I used to go to Toy Safari for my granddaughter. I go to Target now. I'd much rather shop locally, but I won't go to Park Street. It's just a mess. Um, both Park Street and Webster are major arteries in the city connecting Park Street Bridge in the east and the Webster Tube in the, in the west from north to south. I don't know, I, I heard from the woman of uh, downtown Alameda, but I don't know if you've spoken to the South Shore uh, businesses about this. Um, I can't imagine that they would be for it because Park Street is the major artery going from anyone coming from out of town or anybody coming from the north to go to South Shore. And this is only gonna get worse when the residential uh, units are built. The council is set to review this uh, configuration in November of this year, and I think it's premature to give direction to strike these streets now. I would like to see community engagement happen. There was an informal poll on, next, on the next door um, social media site today uh, asking, do you think that Park Street should be restriped in its current, current configuration? 177 people voted. 63% wants they want it to return to two lanes in each direction. 10% don't like the current design. The other questions were liked it, which 15% said, and 13% said prefer park to be pedestrian only. Um, this survey reflects the sentiment of everyone I speak to in town. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Jay Garfinkel. Good evening, commissioners. Um, you know, I've been following this project uh, ever since it uh, came to light back in 2020. The planning board clearly had been working on this for years, and then along came a crisis that they just had to take advantage of, and they put it out of the council agenda. The citizens recognized that we were in a uh, emergent situation, and we were willing to go along for it for six months as was proposed. But the planning board tends, to, I mean, the planning department tends to work on the concept of death by a thousand cuts. So they went to, um, for uh, I think it was October of 2020, but before that came along, they decided to expand it to 2021. And then when that came along, they, the council said, well, we need to study it a while to see how it works, ignoring that it had already been in effect for like over a year. So they extended it to November of 2023. And now uh, plan, uh, planning department wants to jump the gun, make it more permanent by putting in barriers and restriping. As the previous speaker, speaker mentioned, I don't know anybody who really likes what, what we have on Park Street. Most of the people I'm friendly with don't shop there anymore. We go to restaurants elsewhere. We just don't uh, want to bother with that. Um, uh, another issue is the uh, that if I interpreted the uh, diagrams correctly, the bike lanes are between the parked cars and the traveling cars. That means when somebody wants to park, they're going to drive into the bike lane. And when somebody wants to come out of a parking space, they're going to cross over the bike lane. This makes no sense. It puts the, the bicyclists at risk. Also, where are the bicyclists, bicyclists going to uh, park their bikes? 
Do they get to use uh, space on the sidewalk? Do they take up a parking space? They should park a, a block away like most drivers will have to do. Why do they? Why should they be able to just pull up and leave their bikes wherever they want? Uh, another thing that's more concerning is that when this was presented, there was no sequel evaluation done, uh, none at all, uh, because it was an emergency. Now they're saying that they're sequel exempt because this is only a minor change to what existed before. Well, this is not a minor change. And since a CEQA uh, evaluation was never done, it is not legitimate for them to now say, we don't have to do a CEQA evaluation because these are more, only minor changes, presumably minor changes to a previously approved CEQA evaluation. Um, I hope you'll go back to the way it was. This is awful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, Michael D. Hi, Michael. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Go ahead. Okay. okay good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, commissioners, and thank you for uh, planning staff for your presentations. Uh, one thing I want to address right off, I wasn't going to say anything about. Um, I was a little surprised at um, the um, the advocacy for a position that was coming from the planning staff, which sounded more activist than I expected. This is the first time I've ever come to one of these meetings, um, and I can kind of just hear the, uh, the direction of Andrew Thomas behind it. We do, in fact, need to go back and do traffic analysis, and that is the reason why I'm calling in. Um, it doesn't matter if the planning staff think it will cost money or it will be difficult and they don't need to do the work. That is exactly what we need to do. And here's why. Uh, my primary concern with the plan is that it fails to look at overall demand. Specifically, there is substantial spillover onto 8th Street due to the squeeze on Webster. It routinely, because of this, it routinely takes two or more light cycles to get through the intersection at 8th and Central when heading south on 8th. And cars waiting for that light routinely block the intersection at 8th and Taylor, which I used to be able to use <coughs> safely, but I can no longer safely use anymore because either I can't get through it or there's no visibility to cross it or turn left. Um, and I can't turn right because nobody will even let me in. So I'm stuck going the other way toward Webster, which of course has its own problems. Um, also, um, so, so uh, that, that street also goes past Myelin School. Uh, you should ask the crossing guard what they're dealing with there. Um, it's a traffic nightmare on 8th, and that is because of Webster. Uh, when you squeeze Lincoln, it's going to get even worse. Um, uh, and uh, also, the Webster plans are only addressing two interests, bicyclists and two businesses. There are significantly more buses, however, using Webster than bicyclists. Um, wouldn't it be better to dedicate a lane to buses instead of uh, bicycles and we could still have parking? Um, that would be much more efficient. That's a very, very important public transit corridor. Uh, was HC Transit consulted in this plan su sufficiently? Um, also, the uh, Cafe Jolie Annex, um, or Parklet, if we can call it that, um, takes up the casual carpool zone. Uh, we need to restore the casual carpool zone. I used to use it uh, at least a couple times a week before the pandemic. 
Um, also, the Cafe Jolie uh, parklet is not usable by non-customers. Parklets should be usable by non-customers. That's what a parklet is. Um, and uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, Carmen Reed. Good evening, Carmen. Good evening, Transportation Board. I appreciate the work that you do and I appreciate um, your staff. Um, and uh, I just wanted to make a few comments. I think it's premature to take this action at this time. The proposed plan does not appear to be thoroughly researched or designed. There are concerns about buses and possibly double parked vehicles, picking up deliveries, entering the bicycle lanes and for the safety of cyclists. I heard the staff member admit that there may not be room for both parklets and bicycle lanes. So why are they proposing it now, right? I appreciate the opportunity for the public to enjoy outdoor seating in parklets, but some of them seem to be underutilized. Uh, for instance, the outdoor gym, on, on Park Street and a few others that do not appear to even serve food. I'm also concerned about taking away 18 parking spaces uh, when currently vehicles are, are double parked or a free for all as mentioned by one of the staff members. Park Street is a prominent historic street and I hope you will consider all of these important factors when approving permanent changes. We need a well-designed, attractive, clean, and functional design. Something that works for everyone, not a patchwork plan. Also, where is the data and outreach that shows what the public actually wants? This has not been presented. I agree with one of your board members who stated that Park Street is a gateway to the city and vehicle traffic is expected to increase, not decrease post-pandemic. Many people I know are not happy with the current design. It's not attractive. And it is, um, uh, it's actually um, from, well, from people that I, that I know and my neighbors, um, they, they're, not, they're not happy with it and uh, they're not encouraged to go down there. So at this time, I'm asking you to please not approve it. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Bennett Schatz. Uh, hi, commissioners. Uh, thank you, commissioners and planning staff for all the work you do. Um, I live on the west side and ride my bike on Webster daily and on park at least once a week. Uh, today, as part of my commute, I rode from Lake Merritt Bart through the tube and down Webster. It was, for lack of a better term, a wild ride. It shouldn't be. Uh, the fact that we currently have no cycling infrastructure on Park or Webster is both dangerous and embarrassing. I support, I support both of the proposed plans here, as any cycling infrastructure is better than none, but I hope that this is a first step toward a multimodal, low-stress transformation of these streets. I also think we need to address the gap on Webster between Ralph Apozzato Memorial Parkway and Lincoln. It's a key connection with a main east-west bike route and is dangerous and requires riding on the sidewalk or unprotected in the street. And there are no close safe alternatives east or west of Webster. Um, I look forward to seeing these plans implemented and would love to see more done to make these key corridors safe for pedestrians and cyclists. And for those callers who say they haven't talked to anybody who rides their bike on these streets or doesn't know anyone, I encourage you to come on a bike ride with me. I ride them every week. Thank you. 
Thank you. Next comment. Jim Stralo. Good evening. Good evening, commissioners and city staff. You folks are out of your mind. You will be placing seven-year-olds next to buses, large trucks, and the like. Do painted bike lanes contain magic Peter Pan dust to keep bicyclists safe? When a bus is at a bus stop, what do you expect the bicyclists to do? Uh, I will see them pass the stop bus in a vehicle lane. Uh, when the first bicycle injury occurs in a bike lane on either business district street, I will urge litigation against the city and those who vote for this horrible design. You call that designing for safety? I call it designing for injuries and fatalities. What is the plan for truck <coughs> loading and unloading uh, parking? And neither businesses nor a business district have control over the staffing and scheduling for United Parcel Service, Federal Express, Amazon Food Pickup Services, nor the United States Postal Service. Truck loading, unloading is important. How do you limit double parking in your presentation when any double parking will block a traffic lane? This presentation to the citizens is a, we the city are forcing this project down your throats, Alamadans, live with it. No public outreach for this project is horrible city protocol. All of you should be ashamed to approve this draft proposal tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Next comment. Cindy Johnson. Good evening, commissioners. I'm calling to voice support for staff's recommendations tonight. I continue to enjoy the parklets, the pedestrianized Alameda Avenue, and the more vibrant business districts we have as a result of the reconfiguration, and trust that the upsides will grow with longer term, more permanent planning and investment. These districts are becoming unique destinations rather than drive-throughs, and I think that's the right direction for our community and local businesses. Although I'd really love protected bike lanes sooner rather than later, I appreciate this step now of carving out some space for people who bike. It's long overdue. There are lots of strategies to discourage the blocking of bike lanes, and I hope these can be implemented so we can make the most of this paint. Thank you for your consideration and all your time. <coughs> Next comment. Alex Spear. Good evening, Alex. We can't hear you yet. Can you hear me now? Yes, please go ahead. Awesome. Um, so I'd like to say that nobody can tell the difference between two and four versus two lanes versus four lanes. Um, when I looked at that presentation, I really kind of wanted to know why that striped spot wasn't actually a parking spot because it looked like the car fit there. Um, which is, I guess, is a good, um, if it fits, I sit. If a car can fit, it will go there, um, including in a bike lane, which is why I think that you should encourage them to put rumble strips on the entire surface <laughs> of any bike lane. And um, also, I think that parking, the cost for parking on both Park and Webster Street should be more expensive because every time I've gone there, Every single on-street spot was filled. Um, so it should be more expensive to park on the street itself versus off the street in a lot. And I don't think that's currently the case. And maybe we need some surge congestion pricing, but there should be empty spots when you go by. Um, and then um, maybe we should consider 
putting, um, turning it all into a pedestrian mall and putting uh, disabled parking spots at the intersections. And um, maybe we could close the street more on uh, Saturdays or something and turn that into a big, um, a big open air party. And then um, I think that's all I have to say. Hey, do you like biking? August, do you like biking? Only a little bit. Oh, only a little bit. That's my 60 year old. She says she likes biking only a little bit because it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, she wants proper bike lanes. Um, so I would love protected bike lanes on Park and Webster, but, um, you know, I, I did like the idea of that guy's um, having dedicated bus lanes. Uh, but yeah, I'd go for the staff proposal. It's great. Um, thanks. <laughs> Next speaker, David Nikin. David, welcome. Oh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Thanks again for you guys' uh, presentation and for the staff and for all the respectful comments that have been made. I do want to say I overall support the project. I do want to say on the west side, ultimately, <laughs> I don't know if that bike lane that's what four blocks that doesn't have major connectors to other bike lanes is going to be used much. So I think that's a possible pitfall that if it's not being used and it will be perceived that it's not a high demand area where I believe it may just not be used because there's no connections with the neighboring areas. I would highly support the continuation of the parklets as well as the continuation of the one lane streets. I think the, the commercial corridors are much uh, much more walkable and much more pleasant at this time. Uh, and one last point, um, I would, I, I know there is some concern with congestion on neighboring streets, especially within the West End and. I do take that. I do think that um, for uh, when we're looking into enacting the, the previous active transportation plan, it's a little bit unclear to me how this plays a role, whether this is more of a trial to see uh, whether the active transportation plan can be fully enacted or this is just the continuation of the previous striping uh, plan. And then I do think it is an improvement of the previous one, but I, I don't know how it will play a role in a more coordinated uh, coordinated. Uh, traffic situation and all of that Lavina, that can kind of address some of these concerns with moving uh, of, um, of demand off the streets. However, overall, I support uh, the passage of this and I believe it would be a better uh, situation for families and, and the pedestrians within Alameda. I do agree that there are some limitations to bike lanes uh, being amongst busy places and um, some limited connections with uh, cross streets. So thank you for your time. And again, I appreciate uh, what you guys do. Thank you. Do we have any other speakers, Lisa? Yeah, we have one more. This is Christy Cannon. Uh, hello, commissioners. Thank you for all the work that you do and for taking my comments tonight. I am definitely in favor of the staff proposal. I live near Webster Street, but I do shop and go to Park Street fairly often. Um, I generally walk there. Um, I also often take a bus. I do own a car. If I need to go to Park Street in a car, like I'll do that when the weather's really terrible or if I'm in a real rush, I park in the parking garage. I find it very convenient. I've never been there when there were no spaces left or I park two blocks away if I feel like I don't wanna pay for parking. Um, 
I really liked uh, one of the previous speaker's suggestions to um, have some disabled parking on Park Street and have a dedicated bus lane. That's a really great idea. I think it's a long-term idea, but for right now, I, I'm very supportive <laughs> of the proposal. I don't ride a bike much in Alameda. When I do, I try to go on streets with lanes, with bike lanes. I never ride on Parker Webster because there's no place for me to ride. So I think the fact that there aren't a lot of bicycles on Park and Webster is not a reason to not put in a bike lane. I think quite the opposite. But thank you for your attention. Thank you. Any other comments, Lisa? That concludes public comment. Okay, we're gonna close public comment and open it to discussion for the commissioners or a motion. Again, just as a reminder that the request tonight is that we take action on endorsing um, the, yeah, to review and endorse the draft recommendation. Uh, I don't know if we want to address the, the two questions that we got earlier on whether or not this can and will come back to this commission with the final striping plan or not. I don't think that's the current plan. Is that correct? That is, I mean, we're, we're aiming to go to city council in, in July, but that could be shifted if the request is to for staff to come back at a later date. What is the driver for July? Is it just to get it done because it's kind of a mess? Or is it, is there, are there other factors well, that are driving the timeline? Um, I think it's uh, just to make sure, because we, we want to start, or we want to continue the final design. So if you're telling us we're on the right track, then we can, you know, complete and get more details. Um, if we're on the wrong track and we need to do something else, um, <clears throat> that's just going to push, you know, push the project out. So um, the next, I guess, the next opportunity to come back would be later in August. Okay, that's why I want. I which would be in council in September. Okay, I just wanted to put that out there so the, the commissioners could talk about it since that was brought up by two. Commissioner Colstrain, did you have something on that item? Well, uh, yeah, on the timing, but other comments as well. So oh, okay. as soon as you're finished. Okay, that was just, the, I just want everyone to kind of have the basis of what we were <laughs> doing. If we were going to re be requesting that, then please speak up and let us know if we need to give direction to staff before we make the motion tonight. Um, okay, thanks, Robert. If you don't want to stand up there, we can. Right. You may come back. <laughs> Vice Chair Ewan. Thanks. I, um, I would actually be in support of having this come back for the final striping plan um, I think I in, in the current kind of um, the plan configuration that you presented on I'm, I'm in support of that however I do think that um, based on maybe some of the things that I'm going <laughs> to speak on tonight and then some of the process elements that um, in terms of community engagement and outreach I, I think there could be an avenue to do some more engagement and then um, fold in potentially some recommendations into the final design. Um, so I think, just to reiterate, I, I'm in support of this. I, I think that, uh, I think some of the, the points made by others in terms of the green paint, the thermal paint, along the entire bike lane corridor, not just at the intersections, would be um, a good planning decision. Um, 
and the, the bike box inclusion at the intersection so that bikes, bikers can, can make turns, left-hand uh, left turns uh, out of the intersection, I think is a safe way to sort of increase visibility of the bikers um, at those intersections. Um, and it may even like help with the, the concerns that I think some of the commenters, the public comments that we got in terms of uh, blocking the bike lane, because I think that was a really big concern that numerous people um, spoke about, like double parking. Uh, so if it's painted green, then I think it sort of really visibly signals to people that they shouldn't be here, um, they shouldn't be parking there, even temporarily. Um, and I do have a question maybe, well, I guess, just on that in terms of parking enforcement and I think the idea around congestion pricing, I don't know if there is, an, there is kind of a plan to maybe look at that because I know um, the city over the last year has been revamping their parking enforcement efforts and moving enforcement out of police into public works and I know that process is sort of live and still active and so if there is an opportunity to kind of think about parking enforcement and also um, think about congestion pricing to kind of understand the parking dynamics here on the street and sort of uh, influence behavior um, such that people don't opt to block the bike lane and or um, other things like that. Lisa, do, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I was, are you done with your well, comments? I, I think my, my last comment maybe, um, well, that's on parking. I do have other comments, but I, if you want to speak specifically to parking. Sure. I just wanted to let you all know that as part of you know the, the plan, the 2023 work plan that you all endorsed and the city council approved, we are planning to do our first demand responsive parking pricing uh, by the end of the year. Um, our meter rate change, meter rates have not changed in very many years, and so we're working on being able to gather the data that would be required to um, to know what our parking demand is, and then to be able to make a rate adjustment based on that. Uh, we are also, you're right, the the new parking enforcement program launched uh, last year and is continuing to grow. And we have a new, Public Works has a new parking manager or parking supervisor um, position that is uh, overseeing the garage and the parking enforcement and meter shop. So that is getting a, a more concentrated look, which is great. And then I also wanted to reaffirm that we are planning to um, after we know what the striping looks like, work with the um, business districts to identify locations for short-term parking zones and ADA parking zones, um, and possibly also commercial loading zones. And having more of these and having these in the right places will help reduce double parking. Um, and I also. Uh, did want to mention that we do have cheaper parking in the parking structure already compared to the rates on the street. So thank you. Thank you. Vice Chair, did you want to finish your comments? Yeah, and I, um, 
I, I think in terms of Webster, I did, I, I did want to make a comment on Webster. I know that the current design um, goes up to Lincoln. And I'm, I'm just thinking about the Webster corridor, which I do bike on regularly, and I will tell you it's terrifying uh, in its current configuration. Um, and I bike along the Cross Alameda Trail and hang a ride onto Webster. And I do think that it, it does seem like a missed opportunity to kind of stop at Lincoln, not connect it to the Cross Alameda Trail. I know it's an additional, what, four blocks or so. I do think that that would do, uh, that would just connect uh, Webster and make it, even though it's not a low stress network on Webster, what we're proposing here, it would um, provide some connection to the Cross Alameda Trail and increase utilization. Because I do think there is a need uh, for more biking uh, infrastructure there and to connect it to the existing um, biking infrastructure. And so that's, those are my comments on the design, but I, I do want to make a comment about the process and connect it to my earlier question about um, community outreach and engagement. I, I do think that, um, you know, I, I recognize that this is an emergency situation because of the pandemic, and so this sort of was outside the norm of like maybe usual planning practices that I've noticed here in this in this city when it comes to other restriping projects. And so I would encourage maybe if there is more time to do a bit more outreach um, to the public and get um, public input on the design element um, if there if that if that uh, yeah I've just I was just comment I was just noticing how this planning process was a little bit outside of the norm. Um, and wondering if we can kind of bring it back into alignment with some of the other um, projects that are going on here in the city. And that concludes my, my comments, and thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Colstrand. Thank you. Um, it, is, it is interesting that we don't have a lot of public feedback. I know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I recall that you had um, public surveys that occurred um, prior to the extension, did you not? Um, I don't know, I, I uh, generally, of course, we support um, meaningful public outreach through these processes. Um, so I, I, I'm kind of uh, torn on whether uh, I think we need additional public output here, or public input, excuse me, <laughs> here or not. Um, I uh, agree with uh, Commissioner Ewan's recommendation that, um, and I had re recommended it before, that we include bicycle boxes at the intersections for left turns. Um, I would like the staff to look into the um, carrying the thermoplastic through. Um, actually, I think the idea that it might discourage uh, double parking, uh, maybe it would um, because of that very visual cue to drivers. Um, I was surprised to hear that um, you said loading zones may be considered. Um, it seems like we should have some loading zones, designated loading zones on Park Street to supply the businesses. Um, so having said that, I, I actually support this project. I think that 
the design that you're advancing will bring clarity and consistency to Park Street and to Webster Street. It is very confusing right now. And I mean, I still don't know all the places that you can park. And so I generally don't park on Park Street unless it's very clear where there is a parking space. But there are a lot of areas that are uh, diagonally striped that cars are parked in. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of restaurant pickup activity that occurs along Park Street. So I think making sure we have some loading and some very short-term parking, maybe some green curb for um, in the heavily um, populated restaurant areas. I am not sure I agree that we need to bring it back to the Transportation Commission unless there's a a lot of substantial new public input that would suggest we should further alter the design or the staff decides to make major changes. If the only changes that are going to be made in the end are to put thermoplastic in bike boxes, I don't, I think if that is our direction to you, then I'm not sure we need to bring it back. If you make changes that are significant, I think you should bring it back to the Transportation Commission. Um, I also would like one clarification, and then, one, and then I have one further comment. Um, I forget who was talking about the double wide. I think it was uh, Rochelle. Does that, are the parklets going to be limited to the frontage directly in, so, in front of the business that's requesting the parklet? So the way this has been handled and that this is something we're kind of rethinking, mm -hmm. uh, the double wide is just the extension into the street. So oh, okay, so the, the so depth. The depth, yeah. yeah. Um, right now, and what we've continued to allow is that a business can extend beyond their frontage if they get permission from the other the businesses that that parklet would be in front of. Okay. We are rethinking thinking that a little bit more, but that's what's allowed now and has been permitted. Yeah. Maybe sometime in the future we'll see something like the um, cafe districts we see here in Europe where we just have the sidewalks, all of the sidewalks have uh, seating on them um, because there are just so many uh, cafes, et cetera. Um, Commissioner Ewan also, and a couple of other commissioners also recommended, um, and some of the commenters recommended about um, at extending the improvements up to Ralph Apposado Way. And um, I think that would be great if you can do it um, right away, you could include it in this project. I think that might be difficult to do. So as an alternative, I'm wondering if we could take that kind of as the second phase that we're able to move forward with the improvements that you've suggested. And then as a second phase in as short order as we can to consider extending those improvements up to Ralph Apposado Way. And I think that concludes my statements. Thanks. Questions? Thank you. Go ahead, Commissioner Noctegal. Thank you. So I, I'm in agreement with Commissioner Colston in that I'm not necessarily feeling that we need to, as the commission, see 
these designs again unless there's significant changes. I'm, I'm in favor of them in general and don't, I, while I appreciate some of the things that are existing on Park and Webster, I think there's enough confusion around the parking that bringing the parking spaces back to the curb should happen as soon as it possibly can because like Commissioner Colstern said, I, I get confused when I go to park in Webster over where I should park and I feel like I should know that. Um, I am, the reason I brought up the green thermoplastic question was because I am in favor of a visual, visually consistent bike lane and making that clear and whether or not it'll help with the double parking, I don't think it could hurt. Um, uh, I also appreciate the continuation of the parklets. I think they're a benefit to the community and having outdoor dining. Uh, you know, it's nice to have it and you know, in a lot of ways, the pandemic's not done. So some people still want to be able to sit outside. And I like that continuation of the parklets. And um, I also am in favor of being able to connect bike lanes to the Cross Alameda Trail, both on Park and Webster. I think that in general, good north-south connections, both for the bicycle bicyclists as well as pedestrians make good sense, you know, having safe connections to the infrastructure that we put in place. Um, let's see. I appreciate the fact that it is, you're proposing to keep the two lane configuration the four-lane configuration once upon a time often felt more like one and a half lanes and I'd be straddling a lane so as not to, I'd be straddling two lanes so as not to hit anyone getting in and out of a car. I think that if AC Transit is in favor of continuing with the two lanes and it can safely be done, there's, there's a lot of benefit to people walking around, it's safer for drivers. There was traffic even when there was four lanes, so I think that it makes it more friendly to all users of the Park and Webster corridors, not just the drivers. And, and honestly though, before as a driver, it wasn't great with four lanes. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's pretty much all I have for this, so thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Whitesey. Thank you, Chair Souls. Uh, feels like we're dancing around a couple questions and, and I guess conclusions for this commission. I think the first one is uh, we've talked repeatedly about why this has why Webster hasn't been extended to Apozado and typically city staff is a good reason when they haven't done that kind of project. So I was curious what the reasoning for that was. I do support the idea that maybe bring that back as a second part of this project um, for all the important reasons that have been outlined here. I guess I had a couple question comments. Uh, one of them was, I assume looking at these configurations, 
generally they, they don't exclude new parklets. So, you know, restaurants will also open besides closing. And I assume that generally speaking, this looks so far as I can tell flexible enough that a restaurant that moves in and wants a parklet can also do that. And if there's any specific places that seems to be excluded, I think that should get probably flagged. Um, <laughs> third comment, I'm sure you're right, but Sharrow's at the end of Webster and Central, and I think it's Lincoln and Webster is currently designed when they have to make that turn. The turn lane also becomes a Sharrow, and there's no bike lane. I looked at the measurements. I sort of get it. I guess I would love to hear of if anything else was considered, because I don't love leaving a bike lane and suddenly having to be a Sharrow when cars are turning right in the same lane, which typically seems like potential for disaster. And so if there's a better solution, other solutions were examined, it would be awesome to talk about those for a moment. Point number four, somewhere on this thing. Oh, um, yeah, totally support what has been said repeatedly. The lines are very confusing about where to park. I'm gonna highlight one specifically. Um, there are diagonal lines in front of West Cafe on Webster Street that are near that kind of concrete area to sit. I, as a traffic as a as a commissioner, have actually parked in those because I was not clear that if I could park there or not. So I just went ahead and went for it and didn't get in trouble, even though I probably shouldn't have. So it would be good to maybe make those red or something like that because it is they look sort of like parking spaces the way they are. And honestly, even in this plan, they sort of look like the same thing, just a little a little more narrow. So red paint's a good thing. Red paint scares people. Um, I want to return to the posts near parklets for just a second. So the posts next to parklets are great. I think it's a good idea. It, it gives a little space between a parklet and the traffic. I actually worry a little bit about the asymmetry between Park and Webster on those. I think on Park, you got a lot of parklets and there's a bunch of posts. And the posts inherently keep reminding cars as they're going down the road, don't drift right, don't drift right, because there's a bunch of, you're, you're gonna eventually hit another post. And so it kind of keeps that separation. And the lack of parklets on Webster and only, I think, three places, from what I can tell, because there's only three parklets. Um, I would love you guys to look a little bit more at other, other places to add intermittent posts, because I think, I understand why you can't put up a permanent barrier all along, because you gotta be able to cross to go park, but posts are a good thing, because they're little, little reminders that don't get in the way too much, but they get in the way enough to remind traffic uh, that they shouldn't drift over. Um, Loading zones, same thing that everyone else said. I think loading zones should be well-defined, probably a different color paint, probably something else. Um, finally, Robert asked a question that I think none of us really answered specifically. Um, yes, city staff is on the right track. I mean, absolutely, this is like the correct, this is the, generally a very good and correct plan. I actually am pleased that it sounds like a, maybe a majority of the commissioners don't want to bring this back. I think the tweaks, the thing we're circling around is green paint a couple of tweaks, maybe look at where traffic might drift over, and the rest of the plan is great. And so I, I don't, I like input as much as anyone, but I think this is, those are not giant changes, and I think we can vote to include those here, those recommendations, and move this on, because I think everything else is great. So, good work. Are there any other comments before I provide mine? Okay. Good um, night. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Commissioner Sufendera. I don't have major comments, but um, I am with the uh, Vice Chair Nguyen in the sense, you know, in, there are, we have heard from the public 
And there are some comments that we are also going with that in terms of, okay, bike parking, and then I know that's not significant, but uh, you know, the loading and unloading area. And then there was a comment in the, in, in the written comment that said about the USPS uh, location, uh, the double parking that's happening and all that. And finally, actually, the outreach was a big one. Um, and the bike safety, uh, I know, I mean, you guys are experts. Russell can talk a lot about it. Um, and I, I actually want to hear a little bit about um, your thoughts on bike safety, um, you know, keeping uh, the bike lane, um, class two bike lane, I suppose, um, right next to travel lane. Um, and I understand this is the first step towards, um, you know, the longer vision of a low stress bike facility. But um, we are having it in a busy area. We are, you know, striping it in a busy area. So, what's your thought? And there are concerns raised. Um, so, I want to hear about that. But overall, I know there are these are tweaks, but these are, to me, it's a little bit of uh, significant because it's going to be in the busy area. Um, and uh, yeah, I would like to see it back. But and you said September or something like that in the timeline. And if that's the case, I also want to see some of the, the traffic circulation study. And it need not be extensive to call it as a circulation study, but now that you know we have streetlight data and um, index data, we should be able to really have a high-level analysis that should tell how the major corridors are performing and where the diversions are happening. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, any others? I just have a few, um, and then I'll try and summarize what I think is a, a motion that I'll be happy to make on behalf of the group for amendments. Um, I do think the plan is in line with where it needs to go over long term, um, and seeing it as kind of a phasing is a natural progression of a of, of changes like this. I. I'm really conflicted by the process that's being followed, not just the one that's been highlighted tonight in public comment, but that we've been asking for data on circulation, we've been asking for data on travel demand, we've been asking for data on mode shift, bike counts on a lot of the projects, and I think when we don't have that in front of us, then we are put in the position to, we don't have anything to re respond back to with assumptions that are made. And when we don't have data, people can fill in the gaps. When we don't have public outreach, qualitative or quantitative, each individual is allowed to fill in the gaps for themselves. I just don't think it's a healthy way to decision make and I understand why some of the public commenters feel railroaded and not listened to because there wasn't an effort and there's not even a plan put out that takes us into the next phase of, we say we're gonna evaluate, what are we gonna evaluate and when? What data are we collecting and when are we gonna be able to report that back? Or else it is just slowly pushing along a, a prerogative that's not necessarily taken into a fair public process. So while I'm conflicted on that, on this particular item being a request for endorsement, we did say in the active transportation plan that this is something that we wanted for this corridor overall, and I do think that this striping needs to happen sooner than later. I don't think we should be holding up the confusion and the safety issues and the experience of everyone coming back to Park Street with um, needing that, but I really would stress 
as part of this that you develop some sort of tangible plan as part of the evaluation that lets the public and this commission know that the study isn't just going to be done behind doors and is not going to rely on 2021 cell phone data. And so my first amendment to the endorsement would be that there needs to be a deliberate plan for outreach and data collection and how that's going to be factored into evaluation as promised back in 2021 when we said we would do it as a pilot for two more years. The other thing is the curb management. It's been brought up a few times here. I think that is, uh, I agree, I like the green, the green paint. I think it makes it more specific to people as far as blocking a bike lane. I don't think it will stop double parking. I don't think that UPS or Uber or Uber Eats or any, I just don't think they care if they need to get in front of a business. Um, but it would make it easier to enforce and to be, um, which is what I think is really required, is for double parking as an issue to be solved. We need a place that's acceptable for very, very short-term parking for pickups and deliveries of people and goods. And we need enforcement. And I don't think we're going to get any movement on double parking issue strictly with, with green paint. Um, so I would like to see something for curb management. I did have more questions about the parking spaces that were being eliminated, but I'm assuming we have regulations that require a certain amount of ADA spaces to be retained as a percentage to the available parking that is retained. And so I just wanted to ensure that wherever we're losing parking on Park Street, that the spacing of parking for persons with disabilities is considered closely to make sure that we're not creating extra blocks for them to traverse, for example, um, and that if we have to meet any percentages that we're doing so. Um, I'm gonna take m my comments, I'm gonna just, I wrote a few notes and so I would ask my fellow commissioners if they uh, would like to entertain a motion with or without amendments, that I would make a motion to endorse with the addition that staff will have a specific plan around travel demand data as well as public outreach related to the evaluation of these improvements, that the final design needs to consider curb management with whatever common day standards are for where the businesses are and how many spaces you would need. Um, the green thermoplastic as well as boxes at the intersections. And that if it's reasonable to consider an extension to Ralph Abizado to make that bike connection to look at that as far as whether or not that's reasonable. Could you, could you say those again, Chair Souls? Sure. We have the list. Sure. Um, one is the plan for data collection and public outreach as far as evaluating the program on Park and Webster, addressing curb management to reduce double parking by allowing legal spots for short-term parking, the green thermoplastic and boxes at intersections, the consideration of Ralph Apizado, I would say it as Commissioner Colstrand said, is if it's reasonable to actually fit within this project and timing. Those are my four. I'm not including the comeback with final, so I'll leave that to a friendly amendment if any of the commissioners want to make that or any other changes to that motion or second. I'd, I'd like Commissioner Noctigal? 
I'd like to make one small change, please. And that would be not just to Ralph Apizado, but on the Park Street side as in a phase to connect better with the Cross Alameda Trail, which I think, if I'm remembering correctly, is Clement. Is that Clement? Um, I believe it's Clement there. Okay, so a motion on the table of mine plus Clement for whether or not those extensions will fit into this program. Commissioner Colstrand? Um, I have reservations about extending it to Clement along Park because uh, there's really quite a bit of backup during peak hours there and uh, I would be concerned about narrowing that down to um, two lanes. So I would not support that amendment. Um, I would support inserting the word timely into the data collection and public outreach because I feel like we've been asking for kind of this general information for a long time and we're not getting it. And uh, I think that Chair Souls articulated it quite explicitly. And you are hearing your commission say, please get this data to us as soon as you can. Um, I know if you're collecting data on these changes, that's gonna take an, some time and effort and we have to implement the changes. But I'm saying we need this overall perspective of what's going on in our city and we don't have it right now. Chair Souls, can I ask a question about that amendment, the data collection amendment? So if that is being added to this motion, does this project not go forward until that data is collected and presented? No, my um, amendment to the motion, or excuse me, my amendment to the endorsement in my motion was that there is a plan and schedule laid out for that to happen. So there's an existing request by this body to get circulation and travel demand. That happens outside of any project in any kind of meeting. That has been a standing request for staff for a little over a year. Um, I think, I'm not sure if my time's, time passes fast. Um, <laughs> this would move forward, but instead of a continuing phasing going on, that, that we're going from pilot towards the active transportation ultimate goal of a, of a, of a um, I can't remember the category, the category for the streets, the low stress network, excuse me, um, that there would be some sort of plan in place and budgeted and timed and scheduled to actually go and do what was not done in time for this. And I made it a plan instead of it being contingent because we really do need to fix sure. a very confusing but in <laughs> situation. Other words, if, if that plan has not been, for that data has not been executed by say winter of this year, but they want to start construction, they want to do approval, that could still, that still happens. Yeah, because yeah, okay. the, the just, ultimate plan is quite a long, it's gonna take some time to actually formalize this into a, a yep. ultimate solution. So right now the striping is, I consider that a soft phase towards the ultimate, but that really needs to happen for safety and confusion and everything else. But the, I don't think that should excuse us for revisiting what was not necessarily done to the extent it could have been. And, and well explained, I, can, I understand the motion in that sense and actually support the way it was explained. Um, second part, so it's been, an amendment has been added to include an examination of an extension of Webster to Apizado and potentially Park to Clement. 
but that, I guess in my mind, I would probably move to strike that given that they haven't started that planning yet. I mean, that's kind of a second project and I would worry a little bit that adding, I mean, again, we have limited staff hours. This clearly took time. And so I, while I, I mean, I think I was one of the ones that brought it up. I support both of those things as a concept. I don't know that I would add it to this plan because this plan is already pretty well developed. I would rather just approve this plan and, and, and ask staff to bring it to us in a, in a future meeting but I wouldn't add it to this plan personally because I think this plan is on the five, 10 yard line and that other plan is kickoff. <laughs> so I, I, I don't think I can support that part of the motion. Okay. The amendment. Go ahead and ask the question. I, I think I'm getting confused in terms of the timing and the phasing. I don't know if that's true across the commission, but I'll just say that I, I guess my concern one of my concerns that I brought up was in, it was, in, was in relation to how this project feels different in terms of its engagement and outreach to other similar planning projects that are, that are even just like restriping projects. And I, wanna, I would really love to bring this project in line with other projects now that we're outside of like the emergency pandemic orders. And so I, I mean, I don't understand maybe also the urgency of, I mean, I understand parks a mess, Webster's a mess, we need to fix it, but we've been living with it, I guess, now for three years. And so what's a few more months to do some due diligence around outreach, to do some maybe additional analysis and, and data collection needed in order to get this right? Because even if we do this striping project next month this is going this is sort of this is in this is going to be in the ground for at least a few years and so this is some investment uh in in terms of our city resources which are limited um and so i i, I would love some due diligence around that and so i understand the urgency but i also think that we need to kind of be um you know accountable to the to a process and hold ourselves to to that and so i i i'm just I don't know, I just wanted to put that out there. You're welcome to make a motion to not endorse and have the stated reason that you are not endorsing or, or would make a motion for this board to not endorse I, in the absence of public feedback. Yeah, I, maybe I would make an amendment that uh, th this comes back to the commission at a later date, like the, the final plan as it's being developed um, with some more information with outreach. And that can be part of your, if you want to make that motion yeah. now, we can we can do that and we can take a vote at any time and we can make a new motion Great. if that one doesn't pass and all that stuff, so. I, yeah, I just, I'm looking because I'd like a clarification uh, on procedures because right now we are having conflicting yeah. amendments, I think, and so we need to, a yeah. clarification on, do we need to vote on the current uh, resolution? If we have a second on any of the ones that have been stated, I can uh, restate one for procedural clarity, is I think what you're asking. Well, okay. I will second the, emo the motion that you were originally made. Got it. So we have to take a vote on that. Could you, re you reread that specific of motion course, again? It's been a while. Of course. This is to endorse the request tonight with the additions of a plan around data and public outreach that is timely, addressing curb management, adding green 
thermoplastic and the boxes at intersections and consider an extension to Ralph Abizado if it fits within this program. And I second again. <laughs> Just. I, I guess procedurally, then, if I want to make an amendment, do I add it to your amendment, or is that like a, a whole separate? If you're willing to not compromise what the original motion is yes. or a clarification on it, otherwise you would vote against and you would make another, we could, you would make another, a new motion that would clarify what you wanted, and we would take a vote on that, I believe. I mean, I, I agree with your comments. I think maybe the, the one add-on is that this comes back to to this body um, at a later date. I don't know if it's August or September, um, with the understanding that there would be more information to report back to this body about. Let's talk about that, because from what I understand, I don't know the current timeline if there will be anything new, and I believe that was the, the what what's the value of bringing it back if we're not gonna have um, new information or additional data? I mean, they could report back on like the curb management stuff and the green boxes and a few other of the final design elements, but I don't know that staff is committing to have performed outreach. outreach by then. So I just want to make our ex I just want to make the expectations clear okay. that if it comes back for final, I don't know if that will I don't know if that's coming back with um, or maybe I should ask if staff is able to bring back final design with public outreach or data included. <coughs> kind of joint, jointly um, try to respond. Um, I guess on the. Um, Maybe I'll let Robert talk about the plans and I'll just ask about the data and the public outreach. Um, so just to be clear on that, um, we could certainly do some public outreach between now and coming back. Um, I think it would be helpful from a staff perspective to be able to still have this, and it sounds like I'm hearing some consensus that this moving in this direction, that there is support for that so that we could kind of, we could still go to council, but we could be doing outreach during that process on this project. I'm a little less clear on um, what, if if the data collection that you're asking for is like before or after, like what's the data now? And then once we install this project, what's the data on and is on traffic afterwards? Is, is that kind of, are you looking for kind of like before or after data? When you talk about well, data the data collection? I was initially talking about was the ones that the, the information we've been requesting for some time and haven't gotten yet. Um, I, I, but as far as a, a project to project, I was also saying because this one has been lacking that element, then having something in the plan as you continue to evaluate. When you mentioned earlier that you're going to evaluate and as things mature on Park and Webster specifically, to include something in the plan for that as we get towards the ultimate design. Since it was skipped so, this time. Okay, so I think I understand that. So basically, kind of mapping out what our plans are for data collection over time in terms of whatever, through all of the phases that we're talking about yeah. doing. Like, I mean, if we had one for the full city, we wouldn't have to do it project to project. We would be able to do before and after. But right now, we're just kind of blind on 
what any of these projects are changing, if it's just pushing a problem around or, you know, yeah. so I think that yeah. without that baseline, then <laughs> yeah. having the opportunities to put it into projects is, you know, an immediate, but I think there's a the bigger request that's been outstanding that would also help. So doing traffic analysis after the project, if we had the baseline, then we would do the traffic analysis before and model it, what it would do, and then we do it afterwards also to see what the actual impact. So it's, it's a, it sounds like it's a lot about traffic modeling then. Just I don't think it's clear. just about modeling. I think it's also like we've been asking for, you know, a lot of the bike lanes if there's counts or like are we getting any information on whether this is mode shifted and we just don't, haven't got anything back, you know? And, and, so I, and, I, and I understand that. And just to be clear, we are talking regularly about that in-house and we have a plan to bring that back to this commission. Um, so I'm, I'm just... I guess I'm thinking now just about this motion and what's before us today and what 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 is the desire what is what what's the intent of the motion because I'm not clear on what it is around data collection for this motion. I think it's what I think it's a plan for that so I'm asking staff to come up with a plan for what data you would want to collect related to whether it's safety or mode shift or traffic demand and the public outreach that, that would comprise most of that data. So maybe I'm confusing you because I'm saying data is like qualitative data from the public. No, I'm, I'm thinking, is this a before and after is what I'm thinking. Like, are you asking that we collect this data before we make these improvements? So then we can see the impact afterwards of what the improvements have been. I think that would be one way to handle it if that's going to be most beneficial okay. to the longer term decisions that could be made around these two corridors. Can I make a comment on that? I'm sorry, that's exactly what I didn't want to happen. I don't want to, if it takes months to collect this, to come up with a plan and make get this data before this project can happen, that's exactly what I'm trying to avoid, actually. And I, I worry a little bit that we're, with with completely understandable intent, that we want data that, that commission members have asked for, we're trying to tack on our irritation with that part of the process overall onto this specific motion. And I think the specific, I mean, I think someone should put forward a, put, should put forward a motion to ask for data and set a date and all that stuff. That's great. But I think that ought to be a second motion, a separate motion from this actual project because we're not trying to tie this. I mean, I, I think Chair Soul said it well. Like, we're kind of tired of doing this project to project, but we're also then asking this to be part of this specific project, which is. I, I, my specific ask on this, and which is why I wasn't dictating whether it was before or after, was for the staff to come up with a plan of tell me what you're going to do to go talk about this to people as it's being done, not necessarily impacting the timeline as vice chair, if I, I'm, you, wanted, you wanted to see that in the final. So my amendment was to endorse with requirements for the staff to come up with a plan of how you're going to go out and engage the public about these changes as they're being made because if that vote has been missed i don't know how much we're going to get vice chairs and I, please feel free to correct me if i'm speaking for you was to say that that should be done as part of the final, while the final design's happening, and when they come back with the request to come back to us again with that. Yeah, I may, I may just disagree with that. It's okay if we disagree. I, I think I don't agree with that as part of this project. I actually, pers I would personally move to endorse the draft recommendations for Park Street and Webster Street Commercial Corridor Restriping Plan with a friendly amendment to consider green thermoplastic paint in all bike lanes along the corridors 
consideration of loading zones and ADA compliance, period. Do I have a second for that? I'll second that one too. <laughs> and if I may just add that, I mean, I think we're hearing that there's a lot of interest for data collection and outreach on this project. So we will, um, we will do that. And sure. um, I don't, um, I, you know, I, I think, I think we, you know, we're hearing the importance of that and to this commission and, you know, we can certainly um, come up with a plan and um, execute that in a way that seems feasible and reasonable for this project. Uh, Chair, um, would you be able to do that in a two-month time period, in other words, for our next meeting, that you'd be able to commit to having at least the general outline of a plan? Because if you are going to do this, I mean, it seems like just taking a few traffic counts on Park Street, Webster Street, and the Oak Street, Park Avenue, those sorts of things, or Broadway, that's pretty straightforward. So I think kind of the basic elements of a plan for getting public outreach as well as collecting data so you can do before and after, you should be able to do that uh, yeah. for our next meeting. Yeah, we, and we that can't. we can move this ahead yeah. in the I mean, meantime. Yeah, I mean, I think we would do it in a way that seems feasible. Feasible. <laughs> feasible. <laughs> There's a new word. A way that seems like reasonable and feasible for this project. Uh, we typically don't collect counts in the summertime because school is out. So actually having something to bring back in September, like a before count, might be challenging no, for this no, project. No, no, it's just a plan. It's just, just the plan. And, and when we're meeting next in what July or August? I think it's August, right? We're actually we have meeting a special meeting, meeting in July. Well. So we could bring up. We have a special meeting in on June 21st, and then our next meeting after that is August. Um, I think you're thinking of the August meeting. Yeah, I was thinking of August. Uh, but if you, yeah. you know, if you could do it by June. Then. Okay, so I'm going to clarify. So I, I think Commissioner White said the same thing without the 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 plan part. So I'm going to restate a motion. Twelve competing executive motions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. You have to vote on this one. Oh, you're just restating his. I'm sorry. I'm restating his with the plan, which is close to the original. Okay. Which is to endorse, because I didn't hear a second on his. Procedurally. Oh, I seconded. Oh, seconded. oh you did. Yeah. Oh, then we do have to vote. Yeah. To be fair, we seconded well, about we seconded about twelve different things. So. <laughs> I seconded <laughs> both seconded. your your. That's true, but there were amendments that took that down. So I see what you're saying procedurally. It's Let's just confusing. call a vote on mine, and if it gets voted down, that's totally fine. <laughs> I want to include the plan. If we want to vote on that one, I can either amend yours with my request given, for an evaluation given how, given how plan, qualitative and quantitative data plan, and some sort of plan. evaluation plan gets put into given, this. Given that Rochelle did not seem panicked by the inclusion of that, I am happy to <laughs> include okay. that amendment. Thank you. So I will second that with my friendly amendment. That means it's not going to be coming back necessarily at a later date for any other endorsement or approval. Just to be clear on what we're voting on since that has been in the discussion, this is for Green Thermo a plan of evaluation, the curb management piece, no extension to Alpazado, no extension to, no, no um, coming back. ADA compliance, to bring up your point. ADA compliance. You mean, you, I can read it again if we want. Move to endorse, and if I get this wrong, please correct me. Move to endorse with the, move to endorse with the, 
friendly amendment to consider green thermoplastic paint in all bike lanes along the corridors, consideration of loading zones, uh, ADA compliance, and Chair Souls, your amendment? For an evaluation plan that includes qualitative and quantitative data, including public outreach. And, and I will second that motion. And the intersection boxes, is that included in your thermoplastic? Sure, throw it on there. Yeah. That sounds great. That was included in my, yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yes, we're, we're, we've shortened it. Just clarify. <laughs> so second, let's take a voice vote. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, aye. say no. Were there any abstentions? I wish I had a gavel at this point. No, I did not hear any extensions. I heard a unanimous okay. aye. We vote to endorse with all of our complicated, friendly amendments. Thank you guys for the spirited discussion and thoughtfulness behind all of that. We will move on to our next agenda item, if I can find my <laughs> actual agenda. Um, all right, we're going to do what was originally 6C. Next, 6B is coming after this, so we're going to get an update for discussion on the bus stop installations. Hi there. Hello. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. My name is Trey Hanula, and I'm an AmeriCorps Civic Spark Fellow serving with the City of Alameda this year. I'm here today to update you on a project I've been working on under the guidance of Senior Transportation, Transportation Coordinator Gail Payne and in collaboration with AC Transit concerning increasing the number of bus stop benches within Alameda. A quick overview of the project goals. Um, first and foremost was to improve the bus rider experience, especially for people with disabilities and seniors. Second was to inventory uh, our current bus stop benches and shelters. Third was to add 25 new benches to prioritize stops within Alameda. And uh, fourth was to complete this project uh, by summer 2023. Uh, the city of Alameda has put forth two plans in recent years that support this project. The first is the Transportation Choices Plan from 2018, which calls for improvements to public transit and bus stops in priority, priority strategy number three. And in 2019, the city approved the Climate Action and Resiliency Plan, or CARP, which outlines the need to reduce vehicle miles traveled to meet the city's goal of reducing carbon emissions by 50% by 2030. Since this project began in the fall, the following tasks have been accomplished. The bus stop Shelter uh, and bench inventory was updated for the first time since 2018, and over 200 stops in Alameda now have correct updated information about infrastructure and routes served. Uh, each stop was also evaluated for feasibility to determine if a bench or shelter could be placed at that location. Third, a priority list was created using ridership data and factors such as pedestrian priority street status and neighborhood income to determine which locations would benefit most from a bench installation. Next, bids were collected for the bench purchase and ultimately staff chose an option from Belson Outdoors to complete the order and that order has been delivered as of last month. Uh, lastly, staff began reviewing sites to document the exact uh, precise locations of where the benches would be uh, situated at the proposed priority sites. This is a map of the bus stop locations that are currently planning to have a bench installed. Uh, you can see that the benches are well dispersed across Alameda and Bay Farm Island. 
and there's a higher density along uh, certain streets, especially along Santa Clara Avenue and Park Street. As we reach out to residents, homeowners, and business owners, we expect some folks will ask us to not install a stop in front of their uh, residence or business, so we're expecting at least a few of these points to change. We plan to replace any of these locations with another site that is hopefully within the same neighborhood as the original stop so that we can preserve this general distribution of benches around the city. Um, the green dots represent sites that we have already physically visited and measured and are in the process of communicating with, uh, with the pot potentially affected residents and businesses, while the black dots are locations that will be visited later this month. And as you saw in the previous slide, we're currently finishing up mapping bus stop locations and contacting building owners and residents in Alameda. After we receive feedback, we will adjust any locations accordingly, uh, repeat the process again of mapping and contacting residents, and then once we have our location settled, uh, we will issue an RFP for the installation of the benches. Uh, we are aiming to have the installation completed by late summer of 2023. And to complete this project, we will create a report highlighting uh, where future bus stop location opportunities might be in hopes of replicating this project in the future. Um, that concludes my presentation, and I'm happy to field any questions. Thank you. I'm going to open up to public comment first since this is a discussion item. Do we have any public comments? I'm giving it just a second to see if anybody wants to raise their hand. Um, no public comment. Okay. Any questions or discussion items by the commission? Commissioner Colstrand. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you <laughs> to both <laughs> Gail and Trey. I think this is really good work, and I'm thank you, Gail, in particular, for including where the shelters are in the inventory. So I think this will be great for as we move forward and look at uh, what other enhancements we might have at the bus stops. Any others? Commissioner Whitesey. I just had a couple questions. I think they might be more city questions than specifically to you. Um, so we're adding, which I support, a bunch of bus benches, but inevitably some of those will break. Well, they'll be graffitied. There'll be other issues that come with them. And I'm curious if the city adds maintenance budget when they add bus stops or bus benches, because clearly some costs may go up. I'm just curious what that process is. Thank you. My name is Gail Payne, Senior Transportation Coordinator. Nice to see you. And that is a great point. We are not adding maintenance budget. However, they will be expected to maintain them. So there may become a time where we'll have to add maintenance because you're absolutely right. There's graffiti, the benches break. So it, it's an ongoing maintenance issue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is more question for you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to understand the so homeowners have the ability to dispute if they do not want a bus stop put in front of their property and i was i just want to hear a little bit more about that because it seems like on its face that could mean multiple homeowners dispute and a bus i, I understand you, you said you want to keep it in a very similar place i was curious what the process is when you have one or multiple homeowners dispute and want to not have a bus stop or a bus bench anywhere near their house like what's the final process yeah so uh on that question, um, we will try to work with the homeowner and, and uh, we're reaching out uh, in the process of reaching out right now 
issuing a letter to the owners and residents if they are not the same uh, person, and uh, trying to work with them to find a solution uh, in hopes of keeping this map generally the way it is. Um, if there was um, conflicts or we could not come to a resolution, then we'll start looking at uh, similar situations. So we have the list made and they have uh, a score assigned to them essentially. Um, so returning to that list, trying to find something in that general ballpark before we uh, assign a new location. Um, but uh, So that kind of sounds like homeowners have a veto over the bus stop? Like if you can't come up with, I understand a resolution dispute or dispute resolution, et cetera, et cetera, but in the end, who gets to say, who gets to say no? Does the city get to say no, we're putting a bus stop here or bus bench here? Or does the homeowner get to say no, you're not? At this stage, we are um, allowing to just move on to another site because we have about 200 bus stops and less than a third have a place to sit. So we have plenty of places to go at this stage. When we get to a point where we're, uh, we really are, are, have all these bus benches, sure. you know, yeah, we're gonna- Have to put it here. It's going there, you know, but we have, we have room to play okay. at this point. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Nuttall. Thank you. Uh, thank you. This is exciting, and I appreciate seeing more benches out there. Uh, one quick question. I noticed there seemed to be, it, it was sparse on Bayfar Island as far as the number of benches that were being added, and is that because of the prioritization scale, or are there just enough benches already on Bayfarm Island? Is, is that why there's only two? Uh, yeah, so actually in the prioritization list, we boosted uh, the two stops that were listed in Bay Farm Island, um, they actually did not, uh, they were just outside of, of the top 25 range, so we boosted them to include to kind of have that full dispersion. We did have a third site that was on Bay Farm Island, um, but uh, we've been informed that that site is, um, it was at Maitland and Harbor Bay, um, and that site is planning to be developed, and with that inclusion, uh, we're hoping that a shelter will be placed there, or there have been talks of putting a shelter there. So uh, we moved that site to the west side. Um, uh, so there will be a third site. So yes, that, that site has been removed, but we did have three there. Um, they are typically lower um, ridership than the other uh, areas of the island. So um, there is that, but there will be three there, um, which we thought was a, a good dispersion for that area. Thank you. Other questions or comments? Commissioner Johnson. Yeah, you, you brought up an ish, ish, interesting point. So was there any discussion with AC about ridership numbers in the context of where to, to place the benches? Was there a, a dialogue with the district about if that? If you could um, pull your microphone closer oh. to your face. Thank you. Can, you. can you hear me now? Yeah, was there a discussion with um, AC about you know trying to sort of coordinate between ridership numbers and where to strategically place the, the, the benches? Was there, was there a talk with the district? Uh, well, we did get those ridership data information from AC Transit, um, and we did present to them, and they were uh, just really thrilled to have like any improvements made. Um, <laughs> so they were all on board. Um, but yeah, those numbers did come from AC Transit, um, and we added a few uh, modifiers on our end. Um, some to address some equity um, concerns and, and prioritize um, pedestrian uh, high pedestrian priority streets. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, for the most part, I would say in, in general, they do follow the uh, ridership numbers, the, just the pure weekly ridership numbers. It's a pretty accurate list um, with some changes along the way. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Anything else? No, Any other commissioners? Commissioner Susan Thera. Yeah, this is a good one. Thank you <laughs> for the work. So what's the timeline to get most of the you know, bus stops having a bench or shelter? Uh, yeah, so I started in this project in the fall. Um, once we completed the data analysis, uh, it was a pretty quick move to get the benches ordered. Um, if, you know, this project is completed in the summer, I don't see why we couldn't, if you wanted to issue another 25, do it uh, by the end of the year. Um, the provider that we chose, Belson Outdoors, we submitted the order, and I think a week later they shipped, and a week later they got here. So it was a very quick turnaround. Um, yeah, uh, we're going back. This is kind of, uh, we've been in a standstill a little bit, um, just with organizing everything for public feedback, and then um, projecting this, this next stage is going to take a little bit longer just to solicit everyone's um, feedback and make the adjustments and then move forward with the RFP for installation. Um, but uh, the hope is that this could be repeated um, fairly quickly. Um, if new rider, uh, ridership data was provided, we could adjust accordingly, but the formulas and all that have been set more or less. So um, yeah, we have the list, uh, keeps going. Like Gail said, we have 70% of bus stops do not have a bench right now or a shelter. Um, so there's plenty of room to move quickly with. Quickly with. Okay, thank you. Any other questions or comments? Thank you so much for the presentation. I'm glad that this is moving on. And thank you, Gail. Gail, thank did you. you want to say something else before we close out this item? Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to Trey. And um, it's been great working with the Climate Fellow. And if we get a Climate Fellow as great as Trey, <laughs> then it will go faster. Who actually wants to do this project again, keep it going, that would be awesome. And I also want to give a shout out to Danielle, Climate Manager Danielle Mueller, who allowed us to use or the transportation division to use the, the um, work of the climate fellow. So it's been a great experience. So thank you. Excellent. Yes. Thank you as well. All right. We're going to move on to public electric vehicle charging and city owned parking lots under original agenda item 6B that we'll take now. And welcome. Hi. Hi. Good evening, I'm Danielle Mueller, Sustainability and Resilience Manager. Um, nice to be here, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. Um, I'm here tonight to talk about public EV charging and city-owned facilities. Um, so this is a priority um, for 2023 in the, for CARP implementation. Um, and as you know, CARP is our citywide goal to reduce, to reduce citywide emissions and adapt to climate change. Next slide. Oh. Um, so uh, public EV charging will help address the 70% of citywide emissions that come from gas-powered vehicles. Um, and in Alameda, we are extremely lucky that EVs charged with um, AMP electricity will have zero tailpipe emissions. Next slide. Um, there's three types of EV charging. So level one is a ch um, charging use a, using a standard 120 volt outlet. Um, it charges a vehicle about 10 miles per hour. Um, typically there's no installed cost. These are chargers that you get um, standard with the, 
purchased with the vehicle um, and they just plug right into the wall. So those are usually done at home. Uh, level two charging requires a 240 volt outlet. Um, it adds about 25 miles an hour to a charge, to a, a range to a vehicle. Um, residents often install these in their homes on their uh, private driveways or garages and to get a little bit of a faster charge. Um, they typically charge about 200 miles over an eight hour period. So if you charge overnight, usually you can fully charge a, an electric vehicle. Um, you also see level two charging in public um, public chargers. We have the city has level two public chargers at Civic Center Garage, and uh, workplace chargers are often level two. And then there's uh, level three or DCFC, which is DC fast chargers. Um, those are 480 volt chargers, and they can add 200 to 400 miles of range in an hour. Um, up to about 80%. Once you get to 80% charge, the last 20% takes quite a bit longer. Um, but you see these chargers in shorter term locations where people are only going to be there for you know an hour or two, um, and a lot of times um, on roadside freeway locations. Um, these are much more expensive chargers. Next slide. Um, so we talked about kind of charging locations. There's home charging. Uh, this is the lowest cost, most convenient. The, the charger is the lowest cost. The charging cost itself is also the lowest. It does require usually a private driveway or a garage. Um, and then there's workplace charging, which can serve as an alternate primary charging location for commuters, um, if, especially if they don't have home charging available. And it encourages daytime charging, whereas home charging tends to be nighttime charging and there's no more renewables available during the daytime. Although again, AMP has, provides 100% clean energy all the time. Um, public charging is accessible to everyone. It allows uh, both residents and visitors to charge in locations where they're going about their daily business, shopping, dining, or visiting the park around town. Um, and it supports EV owners without access to home or workplace charging. Next slide. So in Alameda, we have a number of public charging locations uh, currently shown on the map here. Uh, we have three fast charging locations at Target, Knob Hill, and um, one at AMP. And then we have a couple of level two charging locations um, at, that are truly public at Civic Center Garage, Garage and South Shore. South Shore also has um, Tesla fast chargers. Um, and then there's a couple of chargers that are listed on um, government websites and others as public chargers, however, they're really more, I think, intended to be kind of employee chargers. They're in front of businesses. And the home to suites is at, you know, it's at a hotel, and the sign in front says guests only. Um, but they are technically public chargers. Next slide. Um, so as we've been thinking about public charging, the um, topic here tonight, we've, uh, as a staff, has been thinking about some draft goals for a public charging program. Um, looking at providing affordable public charging um, within a quarter mile of residence. Um, in, in Alameda, thinking about the number of residents who do not have access to uh, private driveways and garages. Um, and at shorter distances, uh, maybe a tenth of a mile in areas with um, high density of multi-unit um, development. Uh, we'd like to prioritize fast charging at parks, commercial areas, and other short-term park parking locations when feasible. 
and look at level two charging and longer term lots such as Civic Center Garage, the ferry terminals, the park and ride and other locations. Um, we are thinking of this through an equity lens and would like to prioritize charging and equity priority locations and um, take advantage of the numerous state, federal and other uh, sources of funding that are available for this effort. Um, so th this is just looking at um, Justice 40 locations, which is the Biden administration's uh, focus on equity. Um, so the map on the left shows areas in the Justice 40 map or historically disadvantaged communities. And then the map on the right is multi-unit development hotspots, which was a, a map that was developed for by the Energy Commission for a, an EV charging grant. Alameda, next slide. Um, so when we thought, thought about public charging locations, uh, we thought about city-owned parking lots as well as curbside locations. Curbside could mean a couple of different things, but we were thinking sort of adjacent to city-owned or other public facilities rather than curbside, meaning in front of a residence or in front of a private building. Uh, public tr part charging at shopping centers and then schools and maybe outside of other public facilities. Um, we're focusing on city-owned lots as a first priority as it's the easiest type of charging we think to deploy and kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Next slide. Um, so to further that effort, we're applying for a charging fuel infrastructure uh, federal grant through the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, which has a goal of facilitating broad public access to, to charging and accelerating the adoption of um, zero emission vehicles, implementing Justice 40 initiatives, lowering transportation cross, costs, and increasing economic opportunity, advancing job quality and workforce development, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, project funding available 500,000 to 15 million, and focus is on publicly accessible sites with a priority on equity priority locations. Next slide. Uh, so we have an inventory of city-owned locations that could, um, that could accommodate public EV charging. And the way that we're looking at this um, for the, the grant application is some high-priority spots at um, the Central Avenue lot, Civic Center Garage, uh, Mastic Senior Center, the West End lot, Gene Sweeney Park, and the Harbor Bay Park and Ride. Um, and you can see there whether they are in the, the, that Justice 40 location or the MUD hotspot as was shown on that previous map um, and the type of charger we're looking at. Um, the cost estimates that are shown here include uh, purchasing the equipment, five years of maintenance and network costs, um, the AMP engineering fees as well as AMP material and labor for the, um, for the AMP equipment on their side of the meter as well as um, installation materials and labor for the, the installer on the um, installer side of the meteor. And then for level two rebates, it includes, or for level two charges, it includes AMP rebates. Next slide. Um, and then as a set, kind of a second priority, we are looking at um, chargers at the locations shown here. Um, and then, Next slide. Um, as part of the, the, this effort, we are looking as a city to contract with a single EV charging provider um, to install, operate, and expand chargers on behalf of the city. 
um, at low or no cost to the city. Um, through the grant, they would be required to be responsible for the 20% match. In the grant, they would also be able, able to um, receive the charging revenue and the low carbon fuel standard credits. Um, they would be responsible for paying the electricity costs as well. Um, so we would be following the, um, the issuing of the grant, we would be seeking to do an RFP to select a, a provider. Next slide. And that's all I have for you tonight. We're just looking for your feedback and comments on this strategy. Let me take public comment first, Lisa, if you don't mind. Thank you very much for the presentation. I appreciate it, Daniel. If anybody on Zoom wants to give public comment, please raise your hand. No public comment. Okay, thank you. Uh, any questions or discussion from the commission? Vice Chair. Commissioner Colstrand. I just had a quick question. Is it, um, what's the convention in the industry? Because I'm not familiar with it. Is it, uh, is this how most chargers are provided that a contractor would go out and pay all the expenses in return for receiving the, receiving the revenue? We um, do understand that there are contractors that, that work that way. Okay. Um, and that is an option that's attractive to us in the city because they manage it, they operate it, they own it, they're responsible for it. Um, it's, it's not the only model. The, the city could be the owner of the chargers. As we are at Civic Center um, Garage, we own those chargers okay. um, and we operate them currently. But our, our preference would be for an, an owner operator. And it's party. accepted practice, so. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Did you have something? Oh, yeah. Vice Chair, yeah, Vice Chair. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I just saw um, Commissioner Colstrand's hand first, so wanted to give her the opportunity to speak first. I guess just, I have a few questions, but I guess I did have a question in terms of um, whether or not there would be a fee to charge, and it sounds like there would be, given that we would be turning this over to the consultant. I'm just wondering, as part of this RFP, are you hoping to kind of oversee the fee structure just to make sure it's fair and they're not <laughs> charging right. some exorbitant uh, and inaccessible costs. Okay, so it sounds that, like That yes. is the intention. We, we do think that, that we need to be charging a fee for, for charging and that would include, you know, we are seeking uh, the provider to also take over the existing chargers at Civic Center Garage and charge for those. I mean, currently the city is paying the electricity cost of those and that's not being recouped. So we'd like to, to see that addressed. Oh. Yeah, because I've seen in other jurisdictions, I've seen city provide chargers that are free to charge, but I guess that's not the model we're, um, we're striving for. I guess another question that I have was, I'm assuming you're, um, and maybe you put this in the report and I didn't see it, but um, just partnering with AMP, AMP in terms of this, because uh, I know this would be, a f um, there's some concern around capacity on the grid in terms of absorbing this and sort of making sure that there's enough electricity and I'm like what is is that an ongoing conversation with AMP yeah we've been in conversation with with AMP about this proposal and they they don't have concerns about capacity great another question just in terms of number of chargers for our size of a city is there like a standard benchmark we're working towards or is it just as many as we can get in at this point? 
That's a good question. Um, I, that's not some, something that, that I, a standard that, that I'm familiar with, but I think it's a, a good question to think about. And we certainly don't want to have more chargers than are necessary. Um, but I, th I do think that in, toward, in terms of encouraging EV adoption and signaling that we are a, a city that is supportive of, of electric vehicle owners, that having um, a good number of chargers in the places that people go about their daily business um, will help uh, support owners, potential owners, in making the decision to, to purchase an electric vehicle, even if they can't charge that vehicle at home. Great. And my final question, just I just had a curiosity in terms of what dictates the type of charger at the location, like what, like an, at, um, I guess like for example, at Gene Sweeney, you're installing a DCFC, which is the fast charger, and then potentially at Woodstock Park, it's only a level two. I'm just wondering kind of what, what are you factoring in to, to make that determination? What type of charger, what location? In general, we were focusing fast charging locations in areas where people would be spending a short amount of time. So at, at parks, usually people are there on the order of like an hour. And so we felt that a fast charger would make sense. I, I know that as an EV owner, when, you know, when I go to charge and it's a level two and I am there for an hour and I get 25 miles on my 300 mile range vehicle, it doesn't really feel very satisfying. Um, but Woodstock Park in particular, the way we were thinking about that location is that there's, um, there's a, there is a parking lot at Woodstock Park, but there's also kind of an off street area that's adjacent to, I think it's a rec center, there's a small building there. And we were thinking that that is sort of more of a neighborhood charging location where the, mm -hmm. the residents who live there um, might have access to nighttime charging at that location or a more longer term charging. Great, thanks, that's all my questions, thank, thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Nocteville. Um, thank you for this interesting presentation and one of my questions was much, very similar to uh, one that Vice Chair Ewan asked about, it seems as though the, it's a disincentive to charge low prices for the charging that the, the owner, the owner operators would want to keep the price really high. So I'm glad to hear that you'll be uh, requiring them to keep the pricing low because the point is to, to get chargers to people who don't own, who live in multifamily, et cetera, right? So to spread the access. Um, then I'm curious, how are you going to get the word out once these are in? How are you going to inform folks? Is it just going to, will it be on the owner operators to get the word out? Will the city be getting the word out? Is it just folks will see them? What's the plan? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, we will definitely be, and in the grant that we're working on right now, we're including, I think, 3% of the total for community outreach and education. And so we see that being an important um, component. And AMP has been doing a lot of outreach and education for EV owners and EV charging. And so we would want to partner with them and really um, get the word out about the, the program and, and the chargers that are coming in and how residents can use them. Did you have anything else? No, that's all. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you. Any, uh, Commissioner Whitesey. We, we should talk offline. Uh, the chargers at Woodstock Park are actually the neighborhood I live in, and we actually have already installed uh, chargers available for our residents 
it doesn't cover the entire neighborhood, but I, I don't want, if we can avoid overlap okay. to be helpful, Great. we should talk that. about that. Um, it's a little complicated, but we can talk about that offline. Um, I, I guess I wanted to return to the question of cost. Uh, we have some experience with this uh, in Woodstock. Have you guys done cost modeling on what a company would actually need to charge to, to recoup their costs? Because top of my head, nap, you know, napkin calculation, we've sort of figured that anything above about 22 cents a kilowatt hour, um, you know, you're pushing 350, you know, an equivalent of 350 a gas gallon, gallon per gas. And so I was curious if you guys have like numbers because we've, I've definitely noticed that a lot of the EV charging from, a, you know, if you convert it in your head from a kilowatt hour to gallon to mileage um, is exorbitant. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of like extortion. And I, I want to avoid that, but I also understand you're asking an owner to take over all this, this, this infrastructure and this build and this management, and they have to make money. And so I want to know what that number, I want to know if you guys have modeled that number. Um, so I'm looking to Lisa because we, we did have a conversation with one of these providers about um, about fees and I'm and we talked with them about what they were charging. I recall about 25 cents a kilowatt hour. 32. Yeah. Okay. So 32 is, 32 is probably going to get you. That's about 450 in gas or 450 per gallon in gas, which is actually I think what California is just about right now. So. Just, just as a heads up, it's something to think about because I think a lot of people, as they're trying to make that transition, m make that comparison. Like, well, I buy a gas car and gas is fortunately expensive in California, but um, as soon as EV starts to hedge up over that number, and, and uh, like most of the stations now do that. I mean, on Webster Street, there's availability, but it's, I don't know, 46 cents a kilowatt hour or something like that, some insane number. And you're just not gonna get buy-in over time. I mean, I think it's gonna be really hard to do that. Um, I wanna say one more thing. Again, I have both fortunate and unfortunate experience with this. Um, your provider is really important from a software perspective. Um, these are not dummy plugs. Like there are, you know, there's, there's infrastructure, but there's also the computer that has to communicate with the car. And there are many notorious operators that, that their system just fails repeatedly. Um, we sort of deal with one of them now and I fix it and it breaks again and I fix it. Uh, I'm happy to give, I'm happy to talk again for people to avoid and people to work with, but I, the cheapest one might not be your best one because there are a lot of ones. The software is actually really, really important for this kind of stuff and it needs to be robust. Thanks. Commissioner Susan Thera. So um, you are preparing for a CFI grant application, okay? Is it for five million? That's correct. Oh, okay, okay. I'm familiar with that, um, <laughs> you know, the grant, uh, uh, proposal uh, or grant call. So one of the requirement or criteria per se in that is uh, um, how you align with the regional and state level planning, I guess. Um, so I, I do know some resources. So um, if you want, probably I can talk offline. And it's like, you know, MTC has a mobility hub plan, regional mobility hub plan, so you may want to check how your locations align with that. And the ACTC has uh, a new mobility roadmap, which is kind of a policy high-level document, so you may want to align with that. Um, so things like that. So, and there is one uh, comment I have on your, um, the, the report here. So you say that the staff recommends requesting scalable funds. What do you mean by that? 
Um, so the grant um, makes it pretty clear that they are looking for scalable projects. So they are looking, we're, we're making a proposal of about $5 million, but they want us to identify how we could scale that if it were to be less funding than projects. Million. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. Did you have something else? Commissioner Noctegal, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just thought of one other question, and I don't know if it's, or, or comment is, because we're talking about the cost and if there would be potential other revenue streams for the owner operators like ad revenue or something like that mm -hmm. to allow for the price to stay low. Um, I do know that some of the owner operators do sometimes do advertising on the charges themselves, either as a wrap or on the screen. Um, I think that would have to be a conversation that, that we would have with them in terms of what we feel is appropriate and desirable. That's it, thank you. Okay, thank you. Can I, can I ask one more really quick follow-up? We were gonna install chargers at Seaplane uh, Lagoon Parking, and I know that there were issues with finding contractors, and I think I've asked Lisa this question four times, and Lisa, I totally understand if you're tired of me asking. Just curious. I actually have an update this time. Yes. Um, we are all set um, on our end and are just now waiting for ChargePoint to do their part to do the final install of the um, charging stations. Fantastic. Thank you, Lisa. Other comments? I just had a couple, and it was related to the RFP, and I kind of fall into maybe Colstrand's territory of, I don't know a whole lot about the the models of contracting, but one of the things that stood out to me, um, I'm curious as to, or maybe just, you know, my, my hope is that the RFP has some selection criteria that's not just cost, but has some SLAs or some sort of KPIs associated. Um, that would go to the software issues that we, if they're not required by contract to do something at a certain level, they won't. And the scalability thing made me think about this as well because um, I feel like a city like this is really ripe for a single provider, but that's also how you really limit competition over time and over years because it means getting all the current charges ripped out and new charges put in. So I don't know if you've ever thought about more of a qualified provider service list where you could actually keep the competition in the outer years with that price component in there instead of being married up long term on a vendor who's monopolized the city. Um, I have not considered that option, but it's certainly something I just put on my notes that we will look into. Yeah, and if you need any examples, we have other procurements for both technology and uh, infrastructure services that have those kinds of contract terms that are regionally MTCs um, and a number of others that are current and have kind of the legal blessing of some of the more regional larger agencies that you could um, put in front of your council. Yeah, that's a, that's a really smart comment actually. Any other comments? I don't see any. Okay, so we will wrap up. Thank you, Danielle, for the presentation. I'm really excited about this coming and um, being available and um, so thank you for your for staying late and for uh, doing a good presentation. That closes out the regular agenda items. I'm going to move into commission communications. So this is any um, 
requests of staff, any other questions that were ling lingering that were not agendized or anything that you may want to hear back on later? Um, Commissioner Suthanthira. Uh, this is regarding the, the fatal accidents um, item, and it's, it's on our agenda, which is good. I mean, we are aware, we are informed of that. Uh, but uh, if any further form, you know, our investigation comes out to be like it's because of the infrastructure or something, you know, related to infrastructure, not a DUI or something like that, not the driver behavior. Um, and uh, so basically I'm looking for, if there is any um, or, uh, investigation report that suggests that, you know, it's due to the infra, you know, traffic situation or the infrastructure that we have, it'll be good to know. So um, it'll, it'll be, you know, as Transportation Commission thing, it'll be good to know. We are working on a um, table of, of information that we're gonna provide on our website with um, information that we gather at these site visits and what we are as a city doing at the sites after the crashes. Um, we'll include a bit about existing conditions. I'm, you know, working with uh, our risk manager um, and, uh, you know, with the city attorney's office, making sure we are providing the right kind of information and also working with our, our um, internal Vision Zero implementation team. So that should be going up in the coming months, and I can point the commission to that. Um, you know, we're, yeah, that okay. will be the information that we'll have available. Okay. Um, and there was, uh, I mean, this is related to the Bay Farm um, fatal accident and um, I, the, the neighborhood association met with the um, city council and the mayor and all that, if there is any follow-up. I don't know whether I can ask here, uh, Chair. Um, so if there is any outcome, be interested to know. Yeah, um, I will definitely include that. Um, I can include up, up uh, in the staff communications for our next meeting. It's in progress right now. We're okay. working on designs for the for three intersections in that corridor. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the detailed sure. explanation. Thanks, Lisa. Commissioner Wexey. I, I, I think this is the appropriate time to ask, and I don't expect answers now. I actually just kind of want to get it on a future agenda. So, um, so Hangar One, when they were in business, had were one of the main sponsors of a trolley that picked people up at Main Street bus ferry and drove them to Faction and Hangar One and Almanac and then did the loop back. And that was great because it was great for businesses and it also kept drunk drivers off the road. And my understanding is I haven't seen that in a lot, the trolley in a while. And I was curious if the city wants to get involved in that kind of thing. I mean, that, that trolley was really full with really drunk people and that's good because it's good for business and it's good for them not driving. But if it's gone away, you either lose the business or you have more drunk people driving. And so I was just curious if at some future meeting we can talk about the possibility of either city support or collaboration between the businesses out there to bring that vehicle back because it was, it was very useful. I'll bring it up with Great. the team. Um, sounds like something to talk about with Alameda TMA as well. Hmm. Great, thank you. Yeah, it sounds like a TMA so we can hear about that in a future one. Other other communication? 
All right. Well, then I will take a motion to adjourn. I'll make a motion to adjourn. <laughs> I'll second. Second. Thank you. All in favor of voice vote? Aye. 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 Passes Everybody. unanimously. Thank you guys for sticking it out tonight. We'll see you next time next month at a special meeting. Right? Yes.